The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. are now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is he's not here this time around he's 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 on a, he's on assignment um but out now is a film podcast where abe and i normally discuss new movies weekly however every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different but this is our commentary track for may of 2022 and this month in honor of the 36 years in the making uh <laughs> a sequel to a, a a a classic 80s film uh we are talking top gun the original 1986 tony scott directed top gun starring tom cruise of course and join me to discuss top gun this evening we have from why so blue and host of the brandon peters show keeping up foreign relations it's brandon fang peters feel the need the need for speed there someone said it also joining us from forbes standing tall ready for a game of volleyball it's scott littlefoot mendelson <laughs> uh, it's no days of thunder also joining us from the milky way blues ready to buzz the tower it's yancey axe burns hey guys no and and from wise the blue never leaving his wingman it's peter bob paris that's right aaron i am dangerous <laughs> and i'm of course aaron midnight newworth and we're gonna do this start this top gun commentary track uh how are you guys doing this evening just uh yeah ready to get my breath taken away thank you mr faultmeyer Mm -hmm. all right uh so what we're going to do here we're going to talk about top gun we all have the movie currently paused at nine seconds in on our various streaming and blu-ray things uh i'm eventually going to count down from three and on the sound of go we're all going to press play just start talking over top gun uh if anyone planning to watch the movie while listening to us talk just sync it up to the time that I specified nine seconds in press play when I say go and you're good to go. You can listen to us yammer on about Top Gun for the next couple hours. Um, if you're just listening to listen, you're good. You just, you know, strap into that cockpit and get ready to enjoy the 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 the, uh, the absurdity of the five of us talking about Top Gun this evening. Um, so that I think we're uh, I think we're good to go, guys. You guys ready? I'm ready. Ready to watch some sweaty boys. Okay. Three. Two, one, go. So, Yancey, this is your favorite movie of all time. So, tell us what sort of thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'll go first. What are we? <laughs> <laughs> I said. I said. Well, let's, this, so let's talk this is about your favorite about. movie of all time. So, tell us okay. why. No. So, let, let, so let's talk about. Let's talk about. Okay. This. So let's talk. Let's back up to what we usually do. It's like as far as when we first saw this movie. Now, this movie came out in '86. Uh, this is the year that I was born. Uh, so this is it's a little bit like this is a little bit older uh, than we generally do on some of these ones. Um, but yeah, say I do. I want to hear like when you first saw this movie, like what your initial thoughts were on Top Gun when you saw it. I saw Top Gun. I, I did not see Top Gun until probably 2010. Wow. 
I waited until I was wandering the aisles of a Best Buy post breakup, and I noticed they put out a Blu-ray of the 3D conversion of Top Gun. And I said, you know what? You finally got my attention. After 30 years of not <laughs> wanting to see this movie because I was going to make me join the Air Force. I bought the, the, the 3D Blu-ray of Top Gun, and I watched it, and I, I enjoyed it. I think it's fine. I don't know what Brandon's talking about. No, it's not my favorite movie, but I think it's uh, mildly defensible. And uh, when I was a kid, I, I thought it was a little bit weird that I was being asked to change my mind from liking Star Wars movies to suddenly liking these sort of real world movies with the kissing and everything. So I think I was not ready for this when I was 13. One kiss only. That's what Yancey said about his mildly defensible, mildly defensible. I want that That's on the back of the box. Long, I want that quote on a box. <laughs> mildly defensible. OK, so let's let's let me jump to Peter now, because, Peter, you're a big Tom Cruise guy. Like we all like Tom Cruise, but you're like a big fan of Tom Cruise. Like where, where, where were you at Top Gun? Uh, I loved it. I saw it three times. I was 16 years old. I was like the perfect age to see it. Um, I got my haircut. I got the glasses. Um, I actually, it's funny, funny. I was just writing my review for Top Gun Maverick for Why So Blue. And I actually kind of talked about this. So it's fresh in my uh, memory. And my aunt of all people had a bomber jacket and I was all about that bomber jacket in high school and everything. So I was pretty Top Gun crazy, um, when it came out and I, and I, I had already seen Risky Business. So like I, this was not my first Tom Cruise movie, but it probably was my first like, whoa, movie star Tom Cruise movie. Fair enough. I want to get to the rest of us. I do want to point out that we talked over these opening credits, which is very, very much like 80s, like an 80s opening credit scene, especially when it comes to like action films. Right. You have like silhouettes, a lot of smoke, oh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of just like miscellaneous action as the score and everything plays up. And then it's revving up into like what this movie becomes, which we're going to talk about. But it's this big like pop culture statement as far as like the, the music on display, the kind of machismo going on, the imagery that it's throwing at you like I, I find all this very interesting as far as what simpson and bruckheimer are like wanting to tap into and trying to in putting this movie out and we're gonna get back more to more of that and i want to talk about that but scott when did you first see top gun what do you think of it uh, i saw it in theaters probably close to opening weekend i was six um i thought it was fine i mean i know i'm not the world's biggest top gun fan on this podcast but i will happily concede that partially because i think that a lot of films that taught everyone involved made were a lot better. And I'm sort of not puzzled because I get it, but I'm sort of flummoxed. it. This is the one that, that everybody claims to be a timeless classic and we're getting a legacy sequel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're waiting for um, Anthony Edwards to be like revenge of the nerds. They're they're back. Oh no, no. I saw revenge of the nerds too. That sucked. I saw that in theaters too. <laughs> uh, I was barely like seven. And I was old enough to know that film sucked. Um, <laughs> I would dare them to try to make Revenge of the Nerds today. Dear God. Um, I know how they would do it, but we don't need to talk about Revenge of the Nerds right now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, I was six when I was, I was aware that this was, you know, the fighter plane footage was better than most people were used to. Obviously, I enjoyed the heroics and the action. I didn't mind the kissing. I mean, whatever. It wasn't my favorite part, but um I mean, I was six. I knew what lust was. I had my preschool crushes. I've seen um, those three kisses from those Star Wars movies. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, but it's certainly not a film that made any major impression on me as a kid, other than I knew it was very popular as it was playing in theaters. Um, if that makes sense. That does. I hear you. Brandon, how about you? Uh, I, 
I probably saw it like incidentally sometime in like the late 80s for the first time with no memory because it was such a just a huge factor around like it was um i will get into that later but i probably i saw it proper like then it once in the 90s and then when we uh i worked on the blu-ray i worked on the hd dvd for it a blu-ray for it that never came out and then the proper blu-ray that ended up coming out on it and i saw it about eight times probably during that run uh to which you know i saw the 90s knowing it was this big film but i just it was never a film i went back to a lot and then seeing it then that many times i'm like well this is i don't think it's bad but i don't think it's this great thing that its reputation has but i think this movie i mean this is the highest grossing film that year so what do i know um but it's just like it hit pop culture at like a right moment it, it stands for a moment i think more than it does um its qualities of film like because it has that thing of having that soundtrack that went with it that was huge got big star tom cruise things look you know cool this aerial footage uh like people hadn't really seen before or stepped up its game with that compared to what you'd seen in aerial dogfight movies before but it kind of captured hit a moment at the right hit, hit something at the right time and i think that's probably what it was but it was know, the first pro military thing in a long time after 20 years or whatever of sort of vietnam Giving that all a bad name. But you have and Stallone trying to do things of Rambo at that point. But, yeah, but nobody was taking private Stallone flights to Vietnam and trying to get uh, revenge. But even those that, films that you were know very about. about the the institution. Oh, I did the see the five bloods. So. <laughs> this is a the film uncommon that... valor in those movies. This was the first thing that was like selling. No, I hear you. I and then like you. Star Wars kids. Right? The Star Wars kids a little older. They, yeah, um, this was. This is the one that jo- this is the jock Star Wars. He got kids who were in it for the machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, they, they got taken along by this, and some of them probably joined the military. I, and well, you know, many, many did. They, the, the, uh, the numbers this, increased dramatically because of this. You know, movie. When, when you compare this to something like Rambo First Blood, which came out a year beforehand, obviously, this is a less cynical picture, it's a less pessimistic picture. You know, regardless of how the world reacted to Rambo First Blood Part Two, that is not a film that is terribly fond of the institutions. And then one person turned up to get Rambo Two, right? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even then, um, though, I mean, the, the the way the audience went around it, they certainly yes. didn't think of it that way. It was more yeah, of an apology for Vietnam. I'm not trying to make an yeah. argument that Rambo did this better. Like that's not what I'm no. saying. But I, but I, but because I, I do, ex- I hear you exactly. Again. Yeah, recruitment did went increase dramatically because of yeah. this movie. Like that, that oh, was a huge yeah, Ram, Rambo's a movie that doesn't trust its own system. This one says yes. to stick to the system exactly. Right. And I think this is a film that played into that same politics, that same generational feeling. But it's it's kid friendly. It's PG back when that meant something, you know. So this is a a harder edged movie than say Top Gun Maverick. Um, but it's also something that, you know, it's almost like Rambo for kids in a skewed way. Um, and it's it's politics are wholesome in a Rocky Four kind of way in that yeah. it's not demonizing, you know, it's it's overseas enemies. There's no jingoism. There's no xenophobia. Oh, the fact that that that. This top, this this Tom Cruise hero is fighting in a fighter jet, you know, fighting for king and country is almost beside the point. 
his arc isn't that much different than when he's a race car driver in Days of Thunder or he's a pool player on the make in The Color of Money or when he's trying to figure out how to be a bartender and cocktail, et cetera, et cetera. Um, before I before I go as far as when I saw this and everything, uh, to point out just more about what's going on in this opening scene. I mean, this is very much you know a standard action thing as far as getting you off on the right foot, right? You're getting this elaborate action sequence showing you something that presumably you've never really seen before beyond like what Clint Eastwood's Firefox. So you get yeah. this like very elaborate aerial footage that looks just like, especially in the context of 1986, looks breathtaking. I'd imagine mm-hmm. seeing it on a yeah. theater with the sound, with the score. You have the, you know, you have Tom Cruise, who's like this hotshot fighter pilot. He's doing elaborate things, stuff you've never seen in a jet, flying upside down, having fun. Like, why wouldn't people love this thing? I from mean, the, the get go, the score and the soundtrack are a big factor in what makes this thing tick. Very like, much so. Very much. You establish the camaraderie right away between Anthony Edwards and Tom Cruise. Like, there's so much here, regardless of like where it goes from here. And it's not like it stops having fun after this, but mm-hmm. there's so much to, like from the from the jump that I can see why people are like, "You got to see this Top Gun movie." Like, I, I can I get exactly where that comes from. It's an experience. Uh, like, that's it works that way. I mean, and, it, yeah. And that's something I want to point out. So, like, when I saw this movie for the first time, I saw it on VHS at uh, so by. My mom had a friend and she had a son. He, she had a son. And so like, we were like by default, like supposed to be friends. We'd hang out. And so like they had a VHS collection. So that's why I watched it. Like this friend's house that had like a VHS of Top Gun. So I watched Top Gun the first time and I was like, Oh, this is fine. Like I didn't, I didn't have like huge feelings about it. I'm probably like 10, maybe watching Top Gun jets are cool, I guess. But like the, the notion of what the, what like an eighties action movie is to me, it's like, well, I like Arnold. Uh, but like, so like yeah. Tom Gun, it's like, yeah, all right, they did the thing. I've seen it subsequent times over the years. Um, I'm a huge Tony Scott fan, so this is not my favorite Tony Scott movie by any means. But his movies are intensely rewatchable. So like, I've watched Top Gun plenty of times. Uh, I've watched it fairly recently because my lovely girlfriend is on is a big top, a top Gun fan as well. Uh, so like, I certainly like this movie as far as what it's what it is. I don't. I, it's a little slight, but what I admire about it is something I admire about other films that I like even more. It very much is like a vibe of a movie. Mm-hmm. Like you can watch Top Gun and like criticize it for certain things, but it's like even Tony Scott knows it's like, this is not a movie about the story. Like there's a story there and you can focus like the he has the cast. So they're doing their job, but you're not walking out of Top Gun being like, man, the emotional drama about Top Pat Maverick and his father and, what Tom Skerritt said to him really grabbed me. It's like, no, look at the vibe of this movie as far yeah. as like all the photography and the music and how it's all coming together. Well, and that's what I think Scott's yeah. always done with it as far as he's always thought of it as like, I made a movie that wanted to be pure escapism. Yeah. And that's what this is. Like, it's hard. Like, I know there's things that happen because of it that people can disagree with. And I know there's a lot of actors that turn it down because of what they thought it stood for. But at the end of the day, if you just take this movie nakedly for what it is, it's just this vibe of a time. It's a very specific <sighs> period of time that's showing you stuff that looks cool. Like that's yeah. the goal of this thing. And I think it does overall succeed at that. Well, and it's a movie where while I'm not as high on it, like if other people are like, I get it. I get the appeal. I get why it's had that. Even if I'm not, doesn't latch onto me like it does other people. Well, sure. It's a, it's a first and foremost, it's a, it's a Tom Cruise delivery system, which people really yeah. want with Tom Cruise. It's a Tony Scott movie. And, and, and he was criticized at the time for being too slick, but he certainly knows how to put together this kind of thing. And George R. Moroder, you know, did the music and did the, you know, the guy did all the Donna summer music and, and 
in those great songs in the seventies, he's the guy with the danger zone and take my breath away. So, you know, you get a lot of pro, maybe a simple kind of simple sort of movie, but it's, it's a pro, it's a pro job. The big criticism I remember at the time was that it was too much like a music video, but who cares about that criticism now? That's actually kind of nice to see. If, if music videos look more like this today. Like music videos, you know? No, if it, you got more movies that looked like this, that could be criticized as a music video. But that, I mean, who cares? If movies, the idea was that, oh no, all movies are going to become music videos. And oh, they, yeah. they, no one's worrying anymore about that. So you cannot that that worry drops when you're watching well, this movie. And that's why I think, you know, a lot of us were Captain Crank Butts when the first Hobbit came out. Like, oh my God, I do not want every movie I see to look like this. Right. But by the time the third one came out, when it was clear that 48 frames a second wasn't become mainstream, that it's something that certain filmmakers would do every once in a while. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Right. And I was certainly mm-hmm. a little less grouchy about the second and third Hobbit film. Fair or not. Um, well, you you were one over you were one over by the magic of Billy Lynn's halftime walk at some point, also. So damn like right. Because <laughs> um, he was like 120 frames. That's my speed. That's that's the is. that's the Mendelssohn minute. I, I, right I wish there. Cameron were going that far. He's only he's whipping out at 48, coward. Um, <laughs> you heard me. You can quote me on that, James. I want Avatar three and in 240 frames a second. Um, <laughs> who's who's this from uh, Back to the Future? Who's, the, who's this? Uh, uh, who's this? The the He Man guy, James Tolkien. Oh yeah, yeah, James, James Tolkien, Tolkien, right? Speaking um, of Lord of the Rings, speaking guy. of Lord of the Rings, uh, one thing I do like about thing. this film, Slacker, and I think Slacker. this is something that is successfully carried over from the sequel, is that yes, Maverick is a hot shot. He's a rule breaker. Blah blah blah. But in terms of what we see in the film, he only breaks the rules in the service of other people. You know, in that sense, he's a lot like Jay, you know, uh, Chris Pye's Captain Kirk in the start new Star Trek movies. Yes, he's a maverick, but he's only going to break the rules to save other people's lives. He's not just doing it to be a dick and an anti-authority asshole. Like Goose? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm trying to, like, that's that poses a question right there. This is Tom Cruise, 86. He's coming off of, but he's coming off of one of his only flops, Legend. Uh, like, it, <laughs> which... Not not the best, is there not the best for him? Um at this point, like he's still like I imagine he's still not auditioning, but he's like he's a known quantity, but not like in the power position after this movie he comes in more of a power position, right? Is he does he play I mean, I guess he does, right? Because he has like color of money, he's like a bit of a he's I mean he's a hustler essentially. Yeah. Um, and I what like interview with the vampire, he's basically a villain, but for the most part, like he that's like he always plays like virtuous characters, but he certainly plays or leans into or even satirizes like heroic kind of figures with some with some key exceptions. Uh, I can, well, yeah, I mean, he's he's an old school movie star in the sense that he has he he generally plays a version of Tom Cruise, and that's not a criticism. I mean, no, like when you go to see Cusack, a Harrison Ford action yeah, Cusack movie, Cusack does that. Yeah, Den- Denzel's yeah. been doing that and only oh, yeah. gets better at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, Denzel is righteous, righteous revenger man. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I would say, like, you know, I, I don't really think of it as like, is he a villain or a hero or whatever? I mean, I, I see what you guys are saying, but for me, I mean, I can say as the person who was like the perfect age for like the Tom Cruise like era, the thing about Tom Cruise that was so fascinating was that he always has the well in these kind of roles like Days of Thunder and Color sure. Running. Stuff, yeah, he, it's not only that he's like very wide-eyed and eager and kind of cocky about something, but they're always about things 
that aren't, I guess, for lack of a better term, basic. Like, yes, he did do all the right moves, which isn't like the best thing in the world. But it's always like when Tom Cruise is going to be the best at something, it's like he's going to be the best at pool. He's going to be the best stock car driver. Like, And I guess for me as a fan, that was one of the things that was really cool about him. I kind of feel like later we would see, I would say Point Break is kind of doing the same thing with Keanu Reeves where it's like, you know, he's a surfer guy. Wouldn't that be cool to be a cool surfer? And I feel like that's what is really compelling to me about a lot of this era. That's interesting. Cause like, I I think that the the difference there is I think Keanu is specifically not the best at everything he does in a lot of his movies. And that's what makes him unique. And that as an action hero, the anti-cruise, like like, the things that he's doing, when he's point break where it backfires on him. Yeah. And when he succeeds, it's because of either help or because something else goes wrong for the villain. Right. But I guess I was, you know, you're right. Let me rephrase. I no, guess, but, I, but I find that interesting yeah. what you've, what you've tapped into there, because you're right about Cruz. He does play guys that are the best at what they do. Like that's very much a thing about him. He's the best sports agent. He's the, he's, right. he's the best, he's the best hit man. He's the best vampire. He's the manifestation of destiny. <laughs> he's the best seller of exotic cars. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, also unlike he's other actors, like he's, He's working with like known directors from like this point. I mean, starting with Legend here, he's with Ridley Scott, who goes, "Hey, Tony, you should work with this kid. He's pretty good." So you know, he has Tony Scott, and then it's just all notable directors like from here through. I mean, yeah, what, to, interview with the vampires gives Neil Jordan a shot. Like, well, it's, up to Mission Two. I mean, he's, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's, all, it's Oliver Stone, Scott. That's again, exceptional. Ryan, like Ryan all, Reiner in his yeah. best well, period. He was Ron one of the Howard first to really period. do that. Like and that's probably helped a lot. The Palma, Crow, oh, yeah. Kubrick. I mean, I yeah, mean, like, like that's like, all he's working with is good directors, and he's not directed anything. Pollock. Just, I always thought he would direct. He's never directed anything. Yeah, usually when somebody's doing that, you expect at some point they're going to direct a movie because like they're trying after, to learn from the best. You know, who after like, Mission it, Eight, I feel like that's more of a possibility. That's true. true. I feel like that's like he, if he wants to do something like like be a Redford at that point and just be like, I'll act and direct in my own smaller thing. Get that Oscar that I know I'm going to get at some point and flick <laughs> it out of there. You mentioned those. You mentioned Denzel Washington a few minutes ago, and I think Denzel Washington and Tom Cruise are the two major heirs of, of the Steve McQueen sort of. They both want to be Steve McQueen, I think, to a, to a great extent. And Steve McQueen never directed anything either, but he always was sort of playing Steve McQueen was always in control of his image. And he always was basically putting in very strong performances in what were sort of pop mainstream movies. Um, Tom Cruise, of course, flirted with more high tight tone movies for a while, but you know, these are guys and Denzel Washington, the same thing most of the time who will commit themselves fully for sort of for their fans and for, and, and for the craft of, of movie making Harrison Ford, maybe a little bit too. Um, Harrison you know, like, Tom Cruise was never a, you never would put him in with the Brat Pack really. Because he was a good actor, and none of those guys were particularly good. Well, he like, wasn't out getting Cruz. in trouble either. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's more. He was thing. serious. Tom Cruise yeah. was obviously from the beginning serious and committed to his craft, you know. And he so he stood out from. Can you imagine this was Rob Lowe in Top Gun? It would you wouldn't be talking about it today. Or well, let's get Trump. let me get to that in a second here because I have <laughs> yeah. all the people. I have all the people that were considered or turned this movie down. Before that, though, and I'm not disagreeing with you, Etsy, because I, I I think it could be multiple people. Denzel clearly, like Sidney Poitier, would be like an obvious like key for as far as a person that did direct films he became direct. a huge movie star as well as being a prestigious actor. Like he has all, he has, you know, almost auteur movie stars, almost auteurs as actors. They have yeah. an image that they really work mm-hmm. to maintain whether right. they direct it or not, but it's thoughtful. It's not crass really. 
Yeah, Harrison Ford's a guy where he's a movie star and he's very much acknowledged that he does things for money. He's not shy about saying that, but he also like he does he just does the job and goes back home. Like that's yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very he's, much he's, a nine to five. Yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. he's less of a prolific Plus guy. Kurt like, Russell too. He's less, yeah. less prolific guys in the way of like Cage or or Sam Jackson. Like, mm-hmm. but they still well, even Tom like, Cruise doing the stunts to this day is very much a Stephen Queen thing. I saw him so. a few weeks ago, and it's like five minutes of riding around in a motorcycle, and these guys are still 40, 50 years later trying to out Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen. Would you say someone like DiCaprio is also in that camp? Doesn't he like to? Didn't he? Didn't he more he, of a serious lot, actor? Lot, yeah. Oh yeah. He, he did it in Revenant. Didn't he really eat all that? He's just stuff a great actor. He's not. But, yeah, he's, he's not a great a actor. Yeah. Action yeah. Yeah. That he said, he died, I mean, he, if you want to talk about the brat back, he has his posse that you know they they get up to their antics. Mm. as well <laughs> i mean dicaprio makes the same smart choices just keep working with good directors that's yeah pretty much and, he's, and he consistently does that without franchising himself that's another yeah. key thing about him so. well that i think to me is you know given though you know movie star not movie star whatever you know the few biggies and i would say dicaprio to a certain extent cruz sandra bullock denzel washington i'm sure a few others if you want to whatever is that they are still defined by themselves as actors, as opposed to being tied to a specific franchise. Right. Even the Mission Impossible yeah. franchise, if anything, it's gotten bigger and more popular as it's become more of an Tom Cruise specific character. Yeah, it's not none just of them generic action. Not one MCU movie among them. It's yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's it's um, but and I think that's a huge part of wh- why they're still popular. You know, part of it is is you know, Tom Cruise's Scientology stuff notwithstanding, and especially before that stuff, you know, became took center stage in 2005, you know, you didn't know what he was up to when he wasn't making a movie. And Sandra Bullock, she acts, she promotes, then she vanishes. Yeah. Um, the way it used to be. Yeah, yeah. To uh, to jump back to the movie specifically real quick, as far as what's going on, we're, we're at the whole, uh, you got that love and feeling scene in the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so much iconography in this Became movie. Became a hit song again. I did. Yep. And, there's so, there's, and there's so much like, like we talked all over like the introduction of like Iceman and all the other characters, but there's so many like, again, things that people I clearly just grasp onto as far as instant pop culture, like staples, as far as who these people are, like these guys, they, they were the aviators. They're filmed to look as cool as possible as, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, these Navy men go like it, it, this whole bar scene. Like if you're, if like, if certain audiences are won over already by like cool imagery, now you just have like a bunch of dudes hanging out in the bar with Tom Cruise trying to win over Kelly McGillis. And I do like all of that. I think really just, it just connects in exactly the ways that, well, she's great because she makes him look like a dork. Like that's she's the, the only character the in it that makes it look like a dork. That's and what that's I like the thing. about. It. That's what that's what that's what grounds this movie now. Yeah, like you have like you established like choice the, for this role. Was she that, Tom Cruise's choice, or how did she get this role? She got this because Paramount loved her in Witness. Witness, I figured it was Witness. Paramount yeah. loved her in Witness the year before, and they're like, "We want to keep, we want to stay in the McGillis business." Um, and uh, here, I'll, I'll be go, I'll go through the actors now. We can start with her. Uh, uh, they championed McGillis, but let's see, Ali Sheedy turned it down. Uh, and then others that were considered, you had Brooke Shields, Deborah Winger, Linda Fiorentino, who turned it down, Tatum mm-hmm. O'Neill, Jodie Foster, Di- uh, Daryl Hannah, Diane Lane, Sarah Jessica Parker, and um, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker and uh, Linda Hamilton. Um, I would love to look up all of their respective ages. Yeah, ages. Because they, they were also was, older than him. Was there a chance that like Meg Ryan was like 
We, we liked her when she came in. We'll put her in the smaller part. I wouldn't be surprised if she that auditioned. Shock me. I wouldn't be surprised if like she like clearly the way she's used in this movie, she I mean it, it helps her. Like it's it is a huge bridge for her as far as mm-hmm. like this this oh. person that's like a, a like a big bright light that shines in and then has the dramatic chops to back it up later on in the film. Like it it doesn't hurt her career having her in a small role like this. Um, I mean the, the, the no go ahead. I was gonna say one concern they did have about Kelly McGillis, she's five ten. Uh Tom <gasps> Cruise, five seven. Uh, would, and and that's scenes, being nice. And these scenes where you're watching them, he's—I mean—they have her either like crouching against stuff or what have you. But he's also wearing like boots or lifts in various scenes to make sure that he—it's not a huge discrepancy when you see the two of them kind of facing off in various ways. Um, and it's—it's—it does. It's interesting when you look at—you know—obviously because Tom Cruise himself was very young, there was a period where most of his love interests were older than him or at least seemed more mature than he was. You know, uh, Nicole Kidman in Days of Thunder, uh, Gina Gershon in the opening act of uh, uh, Cocktail, um, and obviously well, Guest and Rebecca DeBornay. Well, it helps um, that, like, because he's in a certain position as far as whatever his job or ability is, yeah. the people he's falling in love with are people that are also skilled in some way, so yes. they're advanced in some way. So it, ju- um, it, it, like, justifies it in its own way, which I'm sure Cruz being, you know, smart guy, he's probably having a hand in, like, in these decisions. Oh yeah. Like he's, that. he's, he's smart enough to know that, that the race, you know, I was his name Cole in days of thunder. I don't remember, but you know, him winning Cole over, trickle? Trickle. yes, winning over a super hot, super smart, super tall doctor is going to make his character look all the cooler. Yeah. Good point. Um, this um, is fun. This whole sequence here, as far as him mm-hmm. <laughs> realizing that she's the instructor. Yeah. And then all of this dialogue as I far mean, as him, with him and Goose. I, I, I like this because it feels like a high school movie during some of this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really translates that pretty good. I will say, like, watching this, because obviously we're all watching this on mute so we can talk. And so I'm so focused on especially thinking of, like, Tony Scott and later someone like Michael Bay, like everybody is so well lit that yeah. early scene where Cruz meets Kilmer. I'm like, Oh my God, they're both so gorgeous. Like everyone is so like the, the, the light is and just now with McGillis, that great light behind her was supposed to be the sun looks fantastic. Like, like that right there. Like everything just looks is so, I guess you could say that they're, comes from like, their the faces are all era, you know, but it, it's great. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, these are slick directors. These and you know, like Fincher's included, like people that make it. Like Cameron's the only one that's going like steely with his movies. Like everybody else is making these things that, yeah, certainly come from a certain era, but are designed to maximize the pop impact. Like if you wanted to put, you know, if you wanted to manifest pop as something, it would look like this movie. Like it's so, it's so deliberately shot to convey like how cool everything is, no matter if they're the hero, the villain, whatever side character. All of them look the best they can possibly. You can certainly see why in 1986, someone who'd been following movies for a decade or so would have been slightly depressed after, you know, this is only 10 sort of years after the Chinatown and the Godfather. And this is, this is such lightweight, you know, we were definitely way beyond the new Hollywood period. Here. So what happens when the corporations come in? Yeah, that's what the you know, I was, and, and and you were saying earlier, Aaron, that it was sort of it's a representative of me branded of a representative of an era, but it really kicked off an era. Um, I think I don't think there were movies like this before Top Gun that were really because then after you had Iron Eagle and all these pictures, you know, and it's certainly yeah, it's certainly hitting a certain 
kind it, of thing it, as far as what it is. I forgot about it was the you know morning in America or whatever. But it's 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 Scott. You, and Scott, you would know this as far as like the box office is concerned, but like it's, you know, it's hitting that same like prepackaged era that like, you know, things like Jaws and the later Batman would do as far as there's Top Gun coming out. What's Top Gun? It has it all. It's got movie stars. It's got jets. It's got a hit soundtrack. It's it's got all this stuff and, and it's all the stuff we can. Tongues. Market. Yeah, but it, 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 you're right. And then it has a lot of the stuff that people liked about various movies of the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's sexy. It's in an almost but not really dangerous way it's got fighter jet fights like you know star wars it's got you know patriotist war action like rambo and you know etc you know music video stuff like flash dance and it's all in a pg rated you know four quadrant package but you know what also is too you can get away with you know tony scott can come and go what's the script all right well i'm just gonna film it my way and it you know he can still inject himself here while filming that script that might be kind of thin uh because with everything that big budget was 15 million dollars yeah. and, and, and it, and and it and feels you, like something more and you I have some you have someone, real quick. Peter, you have someone. You have the. You have um, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, mm-hmm. very much knowing what they're doing. Like they are not dumb. They they know exactly how to like sell this stuff, and they right. have the and they have the right kind of confidence in the people they pick. They pick Tony Scott for this movie. They saw the hunger of all things. They're like, right. this guy gets it. Like <laughs> we're gonna. He, he's <laughs> the guy that's gonna make this jet movie work. Like, <laughs> and they and they and like, yeah, we want to be in the cruise business. Let's get cruising here. Like they they are very like it goes on from here. I mean, they already had Flashdance. They already had Beverly Hills Cop. It. <laughs> they know what that. There's a reason why Bruckheimer and Simpson, but Bruckheimer because he's still around. Became and a paramount big, too. This is you know the nearest antecedent for this is an officer and a gentleman for yes. two or three years earlier, and that was an R-rated movie that really played for adults. This is this is you know pitched to kids, which is which is interesting. I guess what I was going to say was I what Yancey said made me think of something. It's, so this is eighty six. Is Saturday Night Fever seventy six? Seventy seven. Seventy seven. Seventy seven. Okay, so about well, okay, about ten years. About ten years before. You have another movie about a young man who's the best at everything, you know, disco and dancing. That's a that is an R-rated movie. Like that is a drama. Right. There is a lot of, you know, questionable morals. And I mean, I love the movie, but I'm just that's saying. That's it. I mean, Peter, it was so yeah. popular that they re-edited. Yeah, they, oh, that's true. They yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. So people like, can see the movie. What are you talking about? The version I saw was PG. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> jumped off any bridges in that version. I don't <laughs> want to bounce in the back of the car. Car. I don't want to bounce in the back of the car. <laughs> he was just a guy that really liked bringing paint cans home and then went out dancing at night. You can see right there that that was the standard for popular entertainment 10 years earlier was to be a little more honest. Yeah, and, it is well, interesting and, going and from that to this. We're back to the fifties again, really. That's what they were going for. Was that's what that Reagan era was really about? Was well, just straight fair, wiping, with wiping the away a lot of the grime of the sixties and seventies. I mean, there are fifties movies that are like this, that are like selling the the experience of the Marine and the Air Force or whatever it is. Um, right. But you know, like you're saying, just ten years before the standard for, but that's because. Ten years before the people were 20, 25 going to the movies, nineteen eighty six, they were more like 13, 15 years old going yeah, to the movie. That's well, a going experience had changed at that point. Like yeah. it had evolved from being like a movie that would come around that seems important that everyone needs to see to movies are everywhere at once and you and they're popular. Kids will go see this four or five well, times and Paramount will make a lot more money than someone who saw Officer Officer Gentleman once on date night and then didn't see it again. You know. Well, I mean, the difference so Saturday Night Fever and like Tony Monero is a lot of like 
be a person that has a self-reflection, a self-realization, deconstruction and realization that he is not the shit. Whereas Maverick's not allowed to do that. Maverick's got to be the fucking guy the whole time. It's macho. Even, There's a real macho. To it's this. all macho. Even Tom Skerritt comes in and is like, no, nah, sorry. Like if there's, you know, there's a chance to no. learn and there is none. That's that's kind of my thing. No, with Tom his like, arc is everybody coming in and saying how awesome he is. Yeah. And him finally believing it. But he's callow. He's callow, right? At first. Tom Cruise is always callow at first. And then um, he grows a little bit of maturity. And, that's and to he... be fair, well, I do agree with Yancey about, you know, how this must have looked to somebody that was thrilled with, you know, Taxi Driver and Five Easy Pieces and The Godfather. This film's success allows films like Rain Man and Born on the Fourth of July to mm-hmm. not True. only get made, but be huge hits. Yeah. True. Uh, I mean, Rain Man domestically made about as much as Top Gun did. Is that a superhero movie? Uh, yes. Yeah. He makes it rain. He dances and money falls from the sky. That's what, that's the whole Vegas part of that movie. Yes. Um, Obviously it does reflect the change in eras too. I mean, we're in the seventies versus eighties as far as, you know, the way of society at that point Mm -hmm. where you're, you know, we're we're no longer coming out of Vietnam in the eighties. You know, we're not experimenting as much. We're trying to get back to, especially given people in power, trying to get back to a certain kind of. Somebody's trying to get us back there. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I'm not the first person by any means, the first person to say this, but I think that's one of the issues with, you know, eighties and to a certain extent, early nineties pop culture nostalgia is the films that were popular in this era were by default incredibly conservative pictures. Yeah, for sure. At least yeah. as, you know, in a culturally, you know, obviously they weren't firebrand religious, you know, whatever. We consider conservatism today, but they were Reagan pictures. Yeah. You know, I love Ghostbusters, but that's a film about four people who think institutions and regulations are for pussies, and the villain <laughs> is the guy from the EPA. You know, sure. I love Die Hard, and I don't think that anyone there meant to make a conservative picture. But that's a film where the institutions are totally failed. The media is a villain. And the only reason two dozen hostages aren't blown to Kingdom Kong is because of one yeehaw cowboy that saves the day. Although I will say, I will say, Scott, um, when I was thinking about this era, it made me realize that like, because I don't know where you guys stand, how conservative or not conservative is, but this is 86. One year ago, one of the biggest hits was Back to the Future, which... I mean, that's the movie that we always hear like that was it Spielberg was like, wait, so he goes back in time and it's like his mom wants to have sex with him. <laughs> like, like there's I mean, I'm, I mean, it's still a movie for everybody, but I wouldn't say I don't know if I would say Back to the Future is in the camp. I say if I, again, I, I like the, the film looking back on the 50s, I would say it's very conservative. Like, yeah, like, it, 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 I mean, look what Marty fixes. Yeah, what Marty fixes is he wins Wait, but he goes back to stamp- the 50s peter let him stop peter peter let scott talk <laughs> okay it's okay no i mean back to the future is a film where martin mcfly wins because he fixes the timeline so that his family is stereotypically successful by the standards of reagan era america oh that's yeah. true you know, they drive a big truck he's an you know he's an his dad's an entrepreneur he has a guy that washes his car you know etc cetera, etc cetera. his and his, then, his brother Works at the office. Yeah, a tie. That's acceptable work. That's true. I didn't. I didn't it's slightly aware of film. These, I would the say the second film, which I like. Again, I, I the second film has a nightmare scenario where, at the rock bottom moment, you know Marty McFly sneaks into his house and oh shit, there are black people living here. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, 
And again, I don't think any of that's intentional, but people, you know, moviegoers are stupid. And that's something that we've all sort of, you know, we deal with over, you know, we know what these films ideally are supposed to say, or we know what the filmmakers think these films are going to say, but we also know that there are lots of really fucking stupid moviegoers out there. Yeah. And to what extent are we like, oh, I know how dumb people are going to take this. And as a critic, you know, I try not to hold that against any given movie. Um, but trip. that is part of the cultural conversation. And I mean, it's Die Hard. Die Hard yeah. 2 is basically almost an apology for Die Hard 1. Because who's the bad guy in Die Hard 2? Americans who are working for, dr- for drug dealers that are basically, as opposed to, you know, multicultural rainbow coalition foreign terrorists. Right. And the bad guys are American government stooges and American cops who are secretly bad guys. <laughs> True. I guess... I guess what I was thinking, I see what you're saying, but like to me, what I was thinking when I was making the comparison with Saturday Night Fever and Top Gun is that a few minutes ago we saw the scene where Top were Top Gun, sorry, we're top, we're top Gun, Maverick, we're Top Gun, right? Where Pete Pete Top Gun, where Maverick Gun. <laughs> Maverick Maverick follows Maverick um, Top Lieutenant Gun follows uh, Kelly McGillis. I forgot what the character's name is. Charlotte in the bathroom follows her to the bathroom. And there is no, there's no one who would watch that scene and think, oh no, is this going to be a sexual assault scene? What's going to happen? It's like, there's no way that's going to, but in Saturday Night Fever, obviously in the R-rated version, yes, that, I mean, that stuff is out there and everything. And that, and to me, to Yancey's thing, I, I, I think that is an interesting generational shift. I'm not saying I want Top Gun to be more lascivious and, and also, you know, morally questionable, but it is interesting looking at the two. there's also there, tone of picture. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's it's for him in that regard. You don't this feel is, threatened this, by Tom Cruise because he's not tall. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, this is also this is a slick action movie. And Saturday Night Fever is a character drama. I mean, they're yeah. like the if if you put if you if you set up Saturday Night Fever and it was just like BG's plan all the time and like John Travolta just constantly cracking jokes. If you want to do a bathroom, you're not thinking, oh, I hope Tony's not going to turn dark all of a sudden. You're thinking, <laughs> oh, the guy from Welcome Back Carter is better. Like the guy is going to have some fun here. Like I mean, there's the difference. Well, I mean, that that ba- Chip Bonner in the bathroom thing that plays differently in today's climate than it would have then of course sure, obviously but yeah. also like yes that can be creepy behavior depending on the women woman there are some women that like that old school chase game type thing and right. they like old they there are some women that want to grow up and be housewives you believe that yeah they still i mean not all of them are but you know we have we went for so long expecting all women to be like that. Now we, you know, not all of them are like that, but now it's like almost so far over here. It's like, you know what? There are some women that that's a thing for them. That's their dream, not dream scenario, but their kind of expectation or what they look for. Um, That doesn't mean it's wrong. It just meant it wasn't for you. That could be a thing, but granted we have five dudes here talking about that. So don't mean to project that (laughs) and to project anything, but I do know a lot of women that, you know, there's classic value things that they, like they cherish they like the guy chasing after them or you know oh i want to be swooped in and saved by a man there are still women that like that and that's not wrong for them like that's their preference that's what they like speaking to the innocence of tom cruise he is like in the navy openly flirting with like his instructor during this whole like screw training (laughs) like this Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like this would play off this doesn't seem like it would play out this way if it was reality (laughs) I'm yeah. telling you, man, this, I'm watching this movie here and I'm thinking how, there's almost no other actor 
who would play this role where you wouldn't be like, God, this guy's a fucking prick. I can't stand it. <laughs> but they give him enough scenes where he is a, like we just missed, you know, we've talked over it, but one of the, my favorite scene in the film, probably from a dramatic standpoint is when Goose says, look, I know you are who you are, but I've got things to lose here that you don't. He basically almost apologized yeah. and said, no, no, I, I, you're right. And I am not going to fuck you up for the sake of my own ego. Yeah. So he is just self-aware enough so that he's not, you know, a total dick. Yeah. Again, uh, well, then, then you have wait, wait, Meg, wait, wait, wait. Ryan, Meg Ryan, who just finds his antics hilarious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like who later comes in. She's like, yeah, he's an idiot, but I love watching him go. You know, well, they're also like they're in a setting where it's like this is this is the time for us to have fun. Anyway, we need to stop because oh, right the, now volleyball we're the volleyball scene. Volleyball scene. <laughs> the volleyball scene. <laughs> yeah. If now, you want to talk about music videos, time to bring up the so-called gays better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> Does anybody here think the, gay, the so-called gay subtext in this movie is anything intentional, or is it just yes. sort of really? Yeah, I mean, sure, I don't know. Not? I think it's, I think Tony Scott coming off of the hunger. Yes, I do think it. There's. Uh, I didn't. Think I, I don't. Th- I don't think it's something deliberate or that he's trying to like say. You know what? You definitely need to look at it another way. But I don't think. I mean, he's, at, I don't think yeah. he's unaware of it. <laughs> I mean, Tony Scott is one of those filmmakers that I you know doesn't do things by accident. He was a exactly. Tony Scott was a pretty macho guy though. I remember when they asked him yeah. about this. Did you? Did you? Did you mean to make that movie sort of gay? Have you seen Quentin Tarantino's monologue? And he was like, no, man, I like pussy. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, Scott is not. Yeah. Here, oh, here's the thing, well, though. There are those overly macho dudes that you look at all their stuff yeah. and you're like, that's kind of gay. That's like, that's exactly gay, kind of dude. Like, gay, like you know, you see those guys, oh, I like muscle and stuff. I like my superheroes all muscly and stuff. I'm like, because you like to jerk off to it? Well, like, what? Like, but it's it's be it's beyond just and it's not like I'm thinking like that. This is definitely like the intention of the movie. I don't necessarily think that, but it's more of a the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. It, it's this it's this weird line, particularly in the '80s, where you have the the most machismo possible teetering the line over like, well, there are a lot of like held gazes and very curious mm-hmm. shots that hold longer than you know typically needed to. Combined with the fact that Cruz's chemistry with the rest of this cast has a certain smolderingness to it where and all sort of him, pretty, him and McGillis is, you know, it's just fairly stock. That's also an MTV choice because all the singers had to be pretty at that point. If you yeah. wanted to be a, a pop star, you had to be good looking. So I think young kids just, I mean, expect everyone to be good looking in a movie. I, I, would, I would agree. That's totally why I, I don't, I, I would do as far as like, I don't think, you know, I don't think, this production was like, we're secretly hiding this message in here, but I don't think things are done by accident either. Like Scott's saying, even if it's yeah, not, I, even, if it, even if it's subconscious to some, degree. I think it's more of a sense of, you know, we'll shoot it the, this way and we'll just embrace however it's interpreted. Cause I mean, again, yeah, they also like, women buy tickets to movies too. And there's, yeah, well, I can't know, be women wanting to see typical heterosexual, blah, blah, very blah, true. blah, very true. But you know, this is, you know, to a certain extent that scene is very female gaze. I mean, to, uh, to once again, go back to, I feel like it's the seventies. When is uh, the documentary pumping iron? Is that the seventies? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the seventies, the seventies really brings in this notion of like male of, of like bodybuilding and mm-hmm. a real beauty to muscles and stuff. So it makes sense that by the time you get to this, it's like, yeah, of course these bodies are oiled and, but it's also, but it's beyond like, just like, it's beyond just visual appeal of the male form there. There is the kind of, tension held between characters like it's it's more it's more than just there's a bunch of shirtless guys walking around it's dude iceman and maverick totally want to bone each other like there is no yeah 
if this wasn't military 19 late 1980s they might have a shot but there's a lot of heat between those two you know what's weird is that while i think that kelly mcgillis is i and meg ryan are good in this movie um especially uh kelly mcgillis it's weird when i think of top gun I sort of think of it, this is going to sound kind of strange, but I sort of think of it as another 80s movie like The Thing, where it's no, all no guys. Right, but it's not, because it's like, as you guys said, it's like, well, actually, Kelly McGillis's role is pretty important in this. And I was like, yeah, you guys are right, but when I think of it, I think of just sure. the dudes. The Thing yeah. say that, but like, well, I guarantee, you know, there's, I guarantee somewhere, somewhere, awesome. somewhere in Peter Paris's old room, there's a shot of his head cut out and put on top of the poster with ta- with Maverick, Maverick in his bomber jacket. Oh, I'm sure. Draped over his arm. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, as time has gone on, sure. But like around this time, McGillis was a, a name and she just after this, I mean, what she has the accused after this. And then yeah. like things just start. Kill. How long? When is the wit- when is witness? How many years Year before this? It's before this. How many? Um, when it's 85, it's before. Oh, OK. All right. So, she's, yeah. Oh, yeah, so she's pretty big. Yeah, she's so, launching okay. here and. And then it just, you know, doesn't pan out. Make Ryan puns out. But people are like, well, make Ryan was in Top Gun. Yeah, make Ryan was Top Gun. So, um, yeah. Getting back to this. But this was like people know Cruz and then people know Kilmer next. Like, that's what. But I mean, it's funny because like, I mean, Kilmer has a lot of like 80s, 90s stuff that I like. But I mean, besides Tom Cruise, the person who probably did the best career wise is, uh, uh, Anthony Edwards, right? Because the ER. Well, no, sure it's that Kilmer. Because, well, no, it's yeah, Kilmer because he became the big, Kilmer, Kilmer became one of the biggest movie stars of the world. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's right, but Ed, Edwards, Edwards went to Edwards TV in a time getting... when going to TV wasn't cool. Like, it, yeah, yeah, you want to talk about like who uh, gets know. a more salary regularly because of residuals? Sure, Anthony Edwards. But like, Anthony Edwards no. is doing pretty yeah. well. Val Kilmer was fucking. Anthony Edwards was in the wilderness for a decade before he got ER. Because I had seen him in a few things here and there. I was like, yeah, I remember. When he jumped on ER, I was like, oh, good. He gets a regular paycheck. Yeah. No, Kilmer, <laughs> yeah. When, did, when does Kilmer Val keeps Kilmer... leading things from here. He keeps when going on Val... to be the lead of movies. Yeah. When does Val Kilmer's career goes south? Andy Edwards leads or behind oh, it. That's like... sick. Yeah. Not till like 2000s. Like oh, 2000s. Okay. He's t- 2000s is even less high profile. The Saint. Stuff. Yeah. No, the Saint. The Saint's the peak. The Saint is yeah. <laughs> the Saint's peak, Kilmer. Yeah. Like that blind guy movie. At first sight. That's 99. Like, and then, At you know, sight, then he, yeah. Then it's like like Red Planet's a big flop, and like yeah. then there's a lot of like smaller stuff, uh, like things that he's leading still are in significant parts. But he's and Batman and Batman Forever is Pete Kilmer. Yeah, and, and yeah. the Saint is around the same is, time. The Saint yeah. is coming yeah. off of that, being like, yeah, Batman I, I Forever yeah. buys him like the rest of the decade. Being yeah, Batman Forever is yes, like, I, I don't right. need to be Batman to still be a movie star. I can go do the Saint instead oh. because that's more interesting. When is when is the Anthony Edwards' highest thing? What Pet the Cemetery Two ninety. The Doors is 91. It's coming off of After Willow, where yeah. which doesn't do very well, but he's certainly a highlight of that movie. And it's like, yeah, yeah and Oliver Stone wants a very specific... Because he like does a whole... It's in the documentary. He does a whole yeah. like filmed-his-own thing for Oliver Stone and sent it into him. Like He did that for a lot of people, right? He's filmed all these auditions for different directors. It's like, I can be in this. Give me yeah. a chance. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Kilmer's Kilmer coming. sort of... Kilmer goes to because A, he's got a terrible reputation for being a problem child on set. Yeah. Whether that's true, I'm not going to pretend to, you know, whatever. And also by the early to mid 2000s, the kind of movies that a guy like Val Kilmer would star in are becoming less and less frequent at the studio level. Yeah. You know, you don't get movies like At First Sight or The Island of Dr. Moreau or The Doors, you know, to a certain extent anymore. 
I mean, you, um, you get the doors. You, I mean, we have I, El, Elvis is coming out in two weeks. Like, I mean, there's okay, there's terrible example, but I know. Um, just, but yeah, there, there's yeah. this kind of like reserved leading man type yes. role that's not the flashy big. It's more of like a I hate this character actor leading man body type thing. Which yeah, that's, and there's yeah, there's not a lot because that's a mid budget drama essentially, and you're not getting that in the high profile thing for this kind of stuff anymore. Kilmer, by oh. the way, coming into this movie, this is like Top Gun for him is like Edward Norton doing Italian job. He didn't want to do Top Gun. This is a contractual obligation for him to do Top Gun. Uh, he, he's the Paramount has him on and the lead on the on the hook and they want him for this. And he's like, OK, I guess I'm doing this. But the one thing I not the one, but like one thing I really like in the in Val in his documentary is like I've grown up knowing that these two like hated each other. Cruz and Kilmer, like that was their thing in Val. He says like. We didn't hate each other. The media just wanted to play up this idea that we had a feud. I like that. I like that they didn't like yeah. they actually hung out and they like had a good time <laughs> making this movie. Even if he didn't want to make the movie, he still respected Tom Cruise because I can get that. Val Kilmer, he as we've established, he's an artist. He likes doing his work. Tom Cruise, very much a guy that likes doing his work and being serious, but also probably you know knows how to have a good time. So it, it was nice to see like that kind of thing rectified as far as like oh okay they, these guys actually did get along to some degree. Okay, so to give Pete some cred here, uh, Anthony Edwards, after this, goes on to lead in a bunch of films nobody sees or remembers, aside from Pet Cemetery 2, which he co-leads with um, Furlong. Uh, he does Nerds 2. But then uh, after 92, he starts dipping into TV, like movies and stuff. He has a supporting role in The Client and then to ER. He had a stint on Northern Exposure, but yeah. he was leading you, films after this movie. But they, are you looking at his filmography right now? Yeah. Do you know what the name of the western the western movie he made for HBO in like nineteen ninety two ish? El Diablo. El Thank Diablo. You. That's where I first said I like this guy. I'd like to see him in more stuff. Yeah. You know what? I had seen Top Gun once when I was six. It didn't even occur to me that it was the same guy. Written by Tommy Lee Wallace, John Carpenter, and Bill Phillips. That might explain why so much. With Joey Speak. Pants and Lou Gossett Jr., John Glover, and MC Ganey. Yep. Let me put a pin in that because I want to come back to that for a second because there's something interesting there about Carpenter. Um, Anthony Edwards, I didn't watch ER. I didn't grow up watching ER um, as far as that goes, but it's something I really like him in Zodiac. I think he's terrific in that movie. Like oh, it's yeah. not like it's not like that movie's short on good performances, but he <laughs> I think he he's very good in that film. Like Hold I just on. recently watched it. I, I got something here. Mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards has acted it with both Schumacher Batmans and in a Schumacher movie, but not all together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a real renaissance man that Anthony Edwards. Oh, no, um, Carpenter, uh, two people uh, that were considered for directing, uh, but turned this down before Tony, uh, Tony Scott came on. Uh, John Carpenter and David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. <laughs> David Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, David Lynch. This is right. No, this is right when Carpenter has to take. He takes that deal from that independent guy that finances like out. This is where Prince of Darkness and they live come in. Uh, where Carpenter took that deal with that guy who said, "Hey, make the film you want. I'll make sure the studios put out your final cut." Wait, those so are he good takes deals. that everyone, deal. Wait, they are good deals. Everyone loves those movies. That, so that was they the do. Right but deal. this is the this so. is where he's at in his career. Then because he uh. has the thing not do too well. Big Trouble wasn't taken too well. Like, and he's having trouble with studios. So that's that's where he's at at this hey, point. Big Trouble didn't do well. I thought everyone liked that. Didn't do well at the time. 
I know Thing did not do well, but Big Trouble thought, was a thought... Big Trouble was a flop. That did, that did oh, not do well. Yeah. No, it was a yeah. bit for one thing. It was a big budget movie for Carpenter. For Carpenter, it was a big budget. Movie. So this was going to be a possible for hire job, which he will take later with Invisible Man. But um, yeah, that's where he's at right here. This would have been where he makes that decision. Uh, so I keep moving over this, but Tom Cruise, as far as Yancey, as I find this interesting, as far as who else could be tolerated uh, the way that Cruise is tolerated for this movie. Uh, the one they wanted for this was Matthew Bodine. That's who they wanted for this movie initially. Because <laughs> um, he did Full Model Jacket or is that? I yeah. guess. I, uh, I That's horrible. And I guess he's, you know, he's a name. He's a name in the 80s. Like he's more established than Cruise, I'd imagine at this point. Vision Quest, as... baby. Vision Quest. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not a Modine guy, so, you know, whatever. This is dangerous, this driving that she's doing. You're a Modine um, guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he turns it down. He doesn't agree with the politics of the film. Others that all turn it down for the same reason. You can guess a lot of these names because it's, of course, all the big white guys at the time. Swayze, Estevez, Cage, Cusack, Broderick, Penn, Matthew J. Michael J. Fox, Bayo, and Hanks. Hanks. <laughs> Hanks. <laughs> I mean, it's Skinny Hanks in '86. Oh, I get it. Okay. I get where we weren't ready from. for this with him yet. Uh, <laughs> no. she, Char- Charlie Sheen wasn't brought in. She. Okay, <laughs> those are all the ones that turned it down. Oh, considered okay. for the role, considered for the role. Okay, Bob Sheen, Sheen, obviously, Jim Carrey, Rob Lowe, Kevin Bacon, Eric Stoltz, Downey, and Travolta, who's probably too old at this point. <laughs> Wait, no but not Johnny that. Depp. Wow, I Johnny Depp. I no, he's too little at this Depp, point. Depp's too young. Yeah, way too young. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. he's Depp had already done Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, yeah, yeah as a high school kid. kid. Yes. Like, yes. Oh, but he hasn't even done Twenty One Jump Street yet. No. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't even aged out of looking like he's still in high school. Yeah. You know, I I feel like Kevin Bacon might have been able to pull off the role, but not the like iconic Bacon, star power. Bacon's Iceman. He, he like he's your backup yeah. Iceman. Yeah. Okay. No, I can see that. I I could like I could see some of these guys in here. They're Hold just on, doing guys, a, a guys. Look. They are tonguing it to Berlin right now. Yeah. <laughs> Great song. Mm-hmm. <sighs> And this is very Tony Scott. This like shot the the cool blue shots mm-hmm. get to get across the emotion of the scene. Yeah, this was a great song. This Tony oh, Tony yeah. Scott always puts great. You know, he puts in "You Lost a Love in Finland," of course, which was twenty years old. But here he puts in a brand new song, uh, and it's a great song. It's got one of the greatest. I, 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 there's a great article on the internet that says it's got one of the greatest key changes in all of pop music. Very dramatic moment and take my breath away. Probably the most single lasting thing from this movie. It won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. It's the thing I like the best. Of, uh, I mean, to have the movie. great American soundtrack writer and top him on there, Kenny Loggins. Um, you can. That's Giorgio Moroder. Even that was Moroder, the Danger Zone. All that yeah. sound is Giorgio Moroder. He's always had people for Paul Schrader a few years before, so he was getting into the soundtracks. You could argue Danger Zone is also is just like to just as big to some degree as far as oh, yeah. Danger the way it's yeah. the way it's utilized. Yeah, so Unchained Melody, Excellent. Berlin, and and Danger Zone all from this and the the, the title theme is as well. No, Unchained Melody. You mean that before uh, before before Kenny Loggins, uh, Toto and Ario Speedwagon were considered for as like key groups gotcha. for writing songs for this movie. Um, the soundtrack went nine times platinum. <laughs> it no was shit. ridiculous. No <laughs> it was just a super big. Won the Oscar for best song, um, and I'd probably a Golden Globe or whatever the hell. 
Um, <laughs> it had other, it had like like most Tony Scott films of this time. It had Oscar nominations for editing, sound, and sound effects. So, this is his second movie, Tony Scott. Yeah, right after The Hunger, they're like, guys, we got him. We got we got the guy for our Jets movie. Did you see that David Bowie, Susan Sarandon we vampire movie? David Bowie vampire movie. Yeah. So Don, 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 Don runs into the room, coke coming off his nose. Did you see The Hunger this weekend? Jerry Bruckheimer was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Go see The Hunger. He goes, he comes back. Yeah, it's pretty good. We got to get him for the Jet movie. The Jet movie? Yeah, Top Gun. Didn't you read the article? Yeah, okay. Like, that's that's the whole story right there. What had so, they done before this, Bruckheimer and Simpson? Or was this their Flash first? Dance. Flash, Flash Dance. Flash Dance. And uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Hey, they, uh, so Top Gun, the soundtrack is the fifth uh, best-selling album of 86. Beating yeah, out License to Ill by the Beastie Boys, there which was go. number six. Wait, so was Beverly Hills Cop and Flashdance both rated R? I think they were. Yes. Yep, yes. Okay. yes. Flashdance is a soft R. That's a Scott, soft you, R. You know off the top of your head, I think this made 171. So what would that be in adjusted? Uh, oh, hold on. I think 376, but if you give me a second, I'll check. Worldwide is uh, 356, and that yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously that's higher. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, before before um Flashdance, you also have a uh, Thief, Cat People, American Gigolo for Brooke for Bruckheimer and Rotor again. Yeah, they use from Rotor there too. Call me Blondie. Oh wait, speaking of Michael Mann wasn't considered for this, huh? This isn't his thing. This isn't his thing. I mean well, only because I'm. They worked with him. Not That's David Cronenberg's thing either. Well, Cronenberg, yeah. <laughs> well, he done that car racing movie, I guess. The Fast Company. And man's busy. Man's doing his own stuff at this time. I mean, this is '86. He's they still in um... Cronenberg. The tubes would have to go into their game. <laughs> but well, no, but uh, man, man doesn't do this kind of thing. Like his stuff is so you know so. He's already Miami Vice. It's on the. It's on the. It's on the on the earth. Earth. <laughs> like they're not. He's not going up in well, the he air. Did Thief. They produced Thief, right? That they was... produced Thief. Yeah. No, so it's like, just because the thief thing came up. That's what made me think. Thief of it. is like a new right. Hollywood movie. It's a very anxious. Exactly. Thing. No, that's the thing. I'm saying he's not like he's not making a flashy pop culture Chet movie. Like that's not Michael Mann. John Carpenter. Again, that just that that seems more like we got this. Like that that seems more like a let's sit down and have some have some food and talk it out. Like yeah. it, then it doesn't go anywhere from there. I can't see Carpenter pulling these aerial scenes off. Like no, it's, I just, yeah, <laughs> it's too, there's too much movement. This is too much happening here. Carpenter, you know, he and like he's with like Romero, like we died, others of like this old school, like static cameras and, you know, slightly move, slightly movement mm-hmm. type stuff. Not we have all the edits possible. The Carpenter's a big liberal. That's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the context of this film wouldn't fit <laughs> right. at all. He'd be like, what, what am I getting Kurt Russell to do? No, it's not going to work. Amazing. That list of actors who I'm assuming turned it down for political reasons. That's crazy because today, you, I mean, you wouldn't have faced that issue 10 years after this, but that, that's still a lingering anti-Vietnam sort of feeling that was even among the young people at the time here. So what made Tom Cruise say yes, I wonder? He regretted it for a while. He, that's why he was no sequel for years, right? He sort of said, it's irresponsible to do more of these because movies. Tom, well, I don't think he regretted it so much as he was aware that it was, because he's talked about this in interviews. It's like, and this is why, you know, he's a little hypocritical for making a sequel, but... You know, he was aware that it was a cartoon. It was a video game. And he wasn't thrilled with how pop culture sort of, you know, took it. But it's like, you know, it was up to us to understand there was a difference between something like this and Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's also as far like, as, 
as far as making this movie, he's a smart, he's, it's like Will Smith, as far as I'm looking at the things that are popular, what I can put myself in that's going to hit. And like yeah. that, especially at this time where he can't just say like, I want to work with De Palma and make whatever the movie I want to. He's like, they're, they're courting me for this thing. I see the appeal here. Jets, pop music, this guy who I can trust as far as I've seen his music videos and the hunger. Like I can see Tom Cruise making that decision based off of just general knowledge that he knows it will be a success. It's a good role for him. He's right. I mean, it is a good it's a, role. It's a lead role where he's the focus of pretty much every scene in this movie. Like, it's, yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, mentioned that Top Gun produ- it was so popular. Like, talk about a film without, like, sequels and franchise. I mean, it produced a video game uh, on NES that was impossible. And a ride at um, King's Island uh, in Scott's home state of Ohio where he's from, which funny enough, the story is with that, uh, the opening, I believe, Scott, you can correct me if you know more, better or wrong. The opening weekend, that ride, Top Gun, flew off the track. Oh, boy. People on it. Nobody was killed, but it went off into a woods off the track, the opening weekend. And I think it was like supposed to be a hangy feet ride at first, and it became like a carded roller coaster. Um, after that, that sounds but, about right. But no, the first, so the it's, op- it's like trying to land a Nintendo video game. Yes. Which has anyone here ever successfully landed their plane in the Top Gun Nintendo game? Nope. Crash. No. Other other anyone? flight anyone? simulator games I have, but not not Top Gun. Oh, yep. Meg Ryan has entered the picture. She came in a little early, but yeah, no, oh, yeah. this is their big key scene in the in Kansas City Barbecue, a real barbecue joint that's in San Diego that's still there. They are both like Fox News colored hair women. For the movie, yeah, the babes. Maybe that's why they always hire. They're like big Top Gun fans over at Fox News. Like, we need the Meg Ryan and Kelly McGillis. What was that's the movie they really broke her when Harry met Sally? Maybe. Oh, when for Harry met Sally, yeah, that's her. That's huge. Yeah, for sure. That, mm. That's that's putting her over the top. I think of her in inner space. Like that's when I first saw her was in that Joe Dante movie with yeah. Dennis Quaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But that I liked the movie. But that was a huge flop. It did. Yeah, it didn't yeah. do well. Like there was. Like, yeah. Between that, that was that on TV and a lot too. I that and uh, and uh, Joe versus the volcano obviously was mm-hmm. a, a flop as well. But, but yeah, here, but the, the, the start of the Hanks awesome. trilogy for her. It, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but the, yeah, one two the one two punch of having Harry met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. It's like this is the person for this kind of thing. I had to restart the doors. my tab. What's a, Can you give me a time code? One o two. One Thank hour, you. two minutes, three minutes. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, here's a very curious fact that I pulled off of IDB. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis didn't get along during or after filming. This is the best part. However, they did briefly reunite in 2010 for the premiere of Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. And they were okay. Why? I, I guess I guess because that's a Bruckheimer production and they were just in the area. Uh. So like, I guess we should go to this. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that's such a weird <laughs> Prince of Persia. That sounds mad libsy. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far not as so- not Sorcerer's Apprentice, yeah. did they each <laughs> used to babysit Jake Gyllenhaal or something? <laughs> 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 well, let's see. Back up, Jake Gyllenhaal, City Slickers, City Slickers, Billy Crystal, When Harry Met Sally, Meg Ryan. <laughs> 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 I think we missed um, the scene I love in this where he he's so into planes that he even drives his motorcycle out to watch other planes take off and he gets excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. that bit. 
Oh, you know, tons, what, you, tongues you, in Star Wars, guys. There's tongues in this. Peter, you, you mentioned <laughs> how we're watching this on mute. The, the imagery is great in this movie. Like, there's so much you can take away from just watching this silently. Like, there, there's so much just like good shots that Tony Scott's very good at accomplishing, but much like most of the directors that Bruckheimer and Simpson. Like, I mean, all this up. was revolutionary when it came out, the, all the, the plane stuff. Like, I think people probably even like that more than just. Oh, for sure. Be a yeah, dick. It's slightly it, like a United Airlines commercial. Like it has that slight. Pete always hates it when he call, they call it. It, look, it looks like a. It looks like a military commercial. That's what it looked like. Yeah. The most appealing version of that, which clearly worked. Or did military commercials start looking like Top Gun after that, that, that? Easily, Probably that's a factor as well, for sure. Because you have ideas of how to shoot things. I wasn't but around the, to the, see all the commercials back. You know, have memory of them before the, this. the other the other <laughs> thing though they got the budget to use jets and shit like they got the and they permissions to use a lot of the stuff they aren't flying actual like f4 because they can't do that. the stuff but, michael like, bayo bragged to you about all the time being able to do it because well because they pulled out the stops yeah. for these kinds of things especially in given the the light that they're placing them under where it's right. you know ostensibly positive yeah they were given a lot of permissions that you just don't get or just films weren't you know, ambitious enough to want to attempt mm-hmm. at that point beyond, of course, Clint Eastwood's Firefox. I'm just curious, like how much, like, cause we know, I mean, a big part of the new, the new Maverick is those shots where it's like, it's clearly really Tom Cruise in that plane. Well, so in this, do we know what exactly the actors did or didn't do? There's stunt people flying. Sure these they wouldn't let anybody fly a plane. No. And they and I had even in Maverick, he can't fly F-18s. Like the the magic of movies is wonderful. Like uh, whatever they're doing, I'm very <laughs> impressed by it. But he's not flying F-18s. You don't think? Wait, but that the main shot. You don't think he, at least he's just taking off? That looks pretty real. I think there's a lot of ways to make that look like something. But if you're seeing something from a cockpit, I'm not seeing the rest of the plane. Aaron, that. Aaron. Peter believes. Let him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't ruin it for him. Wait, are you okay. saying that? I mean, okay. supposedly Cruz did do a lot of stunts in the new movie. He knows how to fly jets. That doesn't mean they're using those specific jets. Oh, and that again, could be. Sure. And again, the magic yeah. of the movies, you can make another jet look like a different jet. I mean, oh, sure. I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But yeah. so in here, though, you think this back in 86. No, this is no, all. This is dead. This is for sure stuntmen. Uh, this is like obviously like these shots is just you know putting people in cockpit sets or whatever and filming stuff but the actual flying no none of these guys are doing this that's not a thing uh meg ryan does all of her own flying yeah she yeah meg ryan yeah she's (laughs) flying and kelly mcgillis drove maybe the car uh but but they they all but that's it they all yeah all the actors did go up in jets with professional pilots anthony edwards was the only one not to vomit um he has that credit for him so he had Uh, to be killed Yes, exactly. That's why they killed him. Up. They killed him up for that reason. <laughs> the script, the script was very skeletal. And they're like, yeah, we can get rid of Goose. He's too braggy about the old bomb or anything. Uh, speaking of which, this is that scene, right? <laughs> We're yeah. watching Goose about to die. It's a very, it's a very comparatively, it's a very mundane death. Uh, which one of the things I like about this? Picture? I mean, but he does like, yeah, I, yes. As far as I mean, the cause, of, yeah, it's like, a, yeah, it's almost silly accident. Yeah, but like um, the way the way he shoots it. Yeah. Especially given like what we've established with Goose, right? We beyond the fact yeah. that he's a fun-loving guy, he's you know playing piano with his kid at a bar, having a good time. Oh, yeah. And the ba- next scene ba- is this right here, where he just blows right into the, the cockpit and instantly dead. Um, and that in itself, almost. I mean, obviously, this wasn't the first film to do that. But when you think of films where you introduce somebody's wife and and or kids, yeah. and then yeah. they die, <laughs> the film you think of. Yeah. Um. But. Very bloody too, like I guess. Yeah. 
what do he hit? I don't know, but I think he's an alien. <laughs> Green blood. Um, other um, casting choices before Ironside and maybe before Scarrett. It's a little vague on who they're auditioning for, but Lou Gossett Jr. was up for one of these roles. One of those like, you know, and uh, John Voight was also in the running for one of these. do it today. Is it what? No, it's Ed Harris, right? It's Ed Harris because John Voight yeah. was um, too agreeable. I think was the uh, statement. <laughs> 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 um, Tom Scarrett, by the way, he's he's worked with both Ridley and uh, and, and uh, Tony. Any other? Uh, I'm sure there's more. Both Scott's credits. Uh, yeah, Tom Cruise. Tom yeah, Tom Cruise. Denzel. Russell Crowe. Scarrett used this to prep up for Poltergeist Wait. Three. Poltergeist Three. Yeah. <laughs> um, Aaron, did you rewatch? Because I saw on Letterbox, did you rewatch Days of Thunder recently? Oh yeah. So in Days of Thunder, which is you know Tony Scott and everything, is because I haven't seen that movie in forever. Is there a similar thing? A moment where you know the Tom Cruise character, something tragic happens. Well, he and cra- he and Ro- he and Rooker crash their cars, mm-hmm. and so it takes he loses his confidence for a bit, and then Carrie Elwes comes in. He puts like the the new the new hotness, the new driver. Um, and and he he's not he's less sure of himself before he gets his his mojo back thanks to but no one okay so no one dies no one yeah it's no. a it's a there's it's a more friendly film in that manner um, um at, but at the same I like Days of Thunder I like it more than I do story. too well, I like Days of Thunder too I just haven't seen it in forever yeah I know but it's I'm just saying, like, in having context. watched it yeah it's I can see why this would be more popular like Days of Thunder famously flopped and Par- and Paramount like basically like pretty much destroyed the relationship with Bruckheimer and Simpson at that point. They're like, you, you made, you made a movie that did not work, got bad reviews. We want money back. And they're like, oh, we're going to Disney was, was their solution from there. Um, it was, it's a curious one, right? Like it's, it's not like it, Scott, it's not like a huge flop, but it's really underperforms, right? Yeah. It, it's a very, it's something like with Dick Tracy where it didn't like firebomb, but the expectations were so high that merely it doing meh was a it was seen as a catastrophe. And um, also and the, review, and the reviews were bad. Like yeah, the reviews weren't which, good for it. Again, I think it's much better than this picture, but whatever. Yeah. I think, um, I think, Days I think Thunder. like obviously like <laughs> the, the obviously like the aerial footage and like there's so much good stuff in this, but yeah, yeah. He, Tony Scott's a better director in 90 than he is yeah, in 86. Yes. And it I think it shows having watched it read. I think there's more if you want to talk about like deliberate choices he's making and how conscious he is of them. I think it's very much there. And I think there's messaging going on as far as the culture of NASCAR. That's not, it's not biting, but it's certainly placing something in front of you and asking you to think about it in certain ways. Well, I know what it's like to drive a car. I don't know what it's like to fly a plane. Yeah. (laughs) It's also a lot less cartoonish than this picture, frankly. Yeah. It's grounded in character a lot more. And the cast is, I mean, you have him and Duvall have a very significant relationship and him and Rooker. I I mean, I'm just, he married the the co star from that movie, not this one. So that's (laughs) That's true. Well, they didn't, they did not like each other until Prince of Persia happened. So, exactly. Is the Prince of destroyed so many relationships? (laughs) (laughs) Brought people together, though, outside of the film. Sorry. Did it? Did it? Is Cole Trickle his name? Cole Trickle, yes. Yeah. I can't believe I remember that. And the other uh, thing, Cruz, that's and that's Cruz like I have the power, I'm making my choices, because he has a story credit with Robert Town for Days of Thunder. <laughs> like they, they, he like got with Robert. He's like, I want to make a NASCAR movie. Let's 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 sketch out an outline. And Robert Town is like, I'm busy. It's like, I'll call you back tomorrow. And he does, and they make an outline for this movie. 
And what I think is great is in terms of it being, you know, Tom Cruise do whatever he wants. The first half of the picture is a Robert Duvall star vehicle. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is. Cruise is basically a supporting character for the first third to half of the movie. It's also the first um, of Carrie Elwes plays like the unlikable yeah. other guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question. Carrie Elwes. Carrie Hot Shots. Yes. Carrie Elwes, I was thinking like, you know, like a lot of actors, maybe they weren't that great when they were younger, kind of age better and become better as they get older. Is, he always did it like backward. He's the exact opposite. And you're not like, wrong. <laughs> he comes out the gate with good stuff. And then yeah. like, yeah. You get, he gets like he becomes like not character actor good, just like hammy bad. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't think he has the persona to be a crusty character actor. But he, so, with, with all with all of that said, he seems like the nicest guy. Like, oh, he, oh, seems yeah, yeah. Like, he seems like a I think he's just very well cast in like, his, his and that's the end of the story. He, he works well, in like, LA even enchanted. Hood, even like I'm not the oh, biggest on men in tights, but he's very oh yeah does he pulls the job off and No, him and Roger Reese are in a much better movie. Yeah, saw he's bad. He's oh, bad. God. He's Awful. so bad. His, that whole thing works in Ella Enchanted. Like he he works yes. there, but then like Stranger Things, like dude. Oh. <laughs> Wait, so that little Wait, who's kid. He in Stranger Things? He's the mayor in the third third season. Oh, that's right. He's the mayor. I forgot because I get I got focused on Matthew Modine, who I also don't like. Um, <laughs> oh, no, wait, that little the little boy in that scene. That's Miles Teller in the next movie, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So this I assume is Rooster. Six. So 86, so Miles Teller is so supposed to be in his 30s then? Or are they just Does, does Maverick take place like before modern times? Or? Well, it was shot, what, seven or eight years ago, right? Uh, it was shot in 2005. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Maverick, Maverick is pretty, I mean, they have. It was, it right, was shot in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> they kept being delayed through COVID. Yeah. Really, it got delayed a lot. Yeah, they, 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 up, they aged crews for that movie, actually. <laughs> I mean, about 10 minutes. Even even though like even when Miles Teller was cast for that movie, people were kind of done with Miles Teller. He's kind of, mm-hmm. and then the fact that he was like I giving mean, people COVID people done, on set. I mean, what what has people done with Miles Teller though? I mean that amounts right. to like Twitter, but, right? I mean he's not a yeah, the not, there's, a, there's a lot of bad press of. coming from him though. There's a lot of bad yeah. press that comes like what does he even amount to though? It's like he's just smug. Like that's like the whole thing with beyond beyond certain things that seem to be cleared yeah. up as far as what was going on. But before that, wasn't it just like he had an interview yeah. and people thought he was too smug about it? Like that's pretty much. <laughs> Although it's, 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 because it's not beyond Fantastic Four. It's not like he was being cast in every league. He wasn't being army hammered. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't Taylor. It was the it. attempt. It was, it was lean in that way. It seems like he gave some bad interviews. I will some say, bad interviews. And then his like COVID stuff was not very good but I, I think the regular world couldn't has no idea who he is in the first place yeah, right, no, that's my that's 100 i just yeah. i i think it for my, it, it seems to amount to people online are saying right because uh, I, I, I was liking the guy with whiplash and spectacular, spectacular now so now. i'm like wow well, i like him in that footloose remake he's he, good he, I, yeah. I agree he hasn't done anything to he's chris penn's character right um yeah he hasn't, he's he's me, he's solid his, in the offer he's solid to me he hasn't done anything where i'm like i'm getting in too much of this guy I could, I could. No, no, what? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But I just mean in terms of like, you're going to get some backlash when you announce this guy's in it, or you might hear stuff like he's kind of fallen into that camp. Fair enough. I, I think he's a good actor. I really do. I I enjoy seeing him and stuff. But in terms of like like, persona, 
they because they kept you know saying we're gonna make a Top Gun two or whatnot. And I wrote like on on the Code of Zeke, I wrote the the Top Gun two draft of who the, like just the generic like who they would cast and all this. Right. Teller, was, Teller was in that list. They made the movie a couple years after this, so yeah. like they got some like Glenn Powell would would have been on my like this would have yeah. been the right the generic guys they cast. Not even generic. I like Glenn Powell. He's fine. Glenn Powell's like, perfect for a Top Gun. But, like, but perfect. Teller was Jeff Teller was on my like you know my fantasy draft of what they would be doing for this supposed Top Gun two sequel. <laughs> Um, I mean, with the caveat that I never, ever, ever thought a young Han Solo movie was a good idea, <laughs> I think Miles Teller would have been ideal just because he'd be the one guy that, like Harrison Ford, would think he was too good for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I can, I can buy that. It wasn't he? Yeah. He was in the running, right? He was in the like, yeah, yeah, no, he was well, one yeah. of them. Yeah, you know who's a cool customer? Tom Skerritt. This guy always yeah. just seems like well, I don't know much about Tom oh, Skerritt, yeah. but he always seems like he's just ready, ready for whatever. He seems he's like a good he's actor. Play. He's underrated. He's well, always it, it, It's funny, like, well, it, you know, he's an aliens, but you don't or alien, but you don't think of Tom Scare alien because he's it's like the one like major different look for him because he's got that big yeah. beard and long hair. And normally he's got like a stash and a shorter but cut like this. If I'm not mistaken, in 1979, he's sold he was enough lead. of a star. Yes, yes. It's a shock that he's the second person to die. Yeah, exactly. Very yes. Much so. Yes. He gets deep blue seed. Yes. Well, he was in MASH, you know, and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, he was yeah. And he's he. I mean, he's eighty eight. He's been around for a long time. Yeah. I know him. Like for me specifically, I I watched Picket Fences when I was growing yes. up. Like that's what I knew him from. Picket you know, Fences. Yep, he's great. Yeah, alien. He I I knew him from that. But he's been around for it. Like he was on all kinds of things. He, he was on. Well, the if Virginia. you're growing up like, when, when we're everything. growing up, you know who Tom Skerritt is. Kids now, who you know, like that's kind of where he. Oh, we which makes it a moment. very funny joke in Ted that he's in there. Right? That's yeah, really good. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that because you're right, they shot this a while ago, but like, so technically, Tom Skerritt is younger in this movie than Tom Cruise is now. Like, yes, but, that, that's probably true. That's but why they the cast Ed years. Harris in the new movie because he's been 105 for his entire life. <laughs> wait, that's why. Wait, what did you say? Wait, what? That's why they cast Ed Harris in the new film because he's always been old. Oh, <laughs> he has Benjamin Bunge disease, except his stopped. <laughs> I mean, this isn't a spoiler because it's something that doesn't happen, but I'm surprised Tom Skerritt isn't in the new one just because, I mean, unless he's unhealthy and, you know, doesn't work all that much. He's 88 but. years old. He probably just like, I don't feel like I've seen Mission, but I don't need Tom Cruise telling me to jump over the air and do over this. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like, fine. I Thank think, you. <laughs> I think John. Really easy um, paycheck. I think John Hamm is more that role i think ed harris is more the the back to the the guy in the beginning of this movie that was also in back to the future the bald guy i think it's more that side unseen ham ham scenes more like ironside but i haven't seen it you guys have so no i mean i i to me i don't think either of those actors were playing representatives from the first film sure it was just not a one-to-one not no it's not no um, it's not like an Indiana Jones and the Cup of Crystal Skull where it's like, oh, that was not Sean Connery, and this is, you know, not uh, right. uh Jonathan Rice Davis, and this one's not Denim Holum or whatever. The last thing I saw scared in was Lucky, the the last Harry Dean Stanton movie. Um, oh. which which he's terrific in because he and he and Stanton, and it's that alien reunion, which is also kind of sweet, but they have this just wonderful scene, just just the two of them talking about their experiences in the military. Um oh. and that's and it's and it's real. Like they're both they both were a person that served, people that served, and it's a and I believe they're telling stories that are, if not their own stories, at least rooted in truth. And it's just a really great like look at these two great actors just 
just telling stories to each other. And I'm happy to watch that. That's 2017. I assume when Tom Cruise is being like, you got to be a Top Gun. And he's like, I got, I'm over here with Harry Dean Stanton right now. I can't just be jumping out of your movie. I mean, even his character would be long retired. What would he be doing in Top Gun? Yeah, exactly. What's he still doing at Top Gun Academy? A parade or something? <laughs> his hair all slicked back, wearing a suit. <laughs> and again, I don't care. Because you know, I was never one that wanted a Top Gun too. I was sort of surprised that he's alive, he's healthy. Might as that's well have the him other show thing up. too. Yeah, that that's like dragging out Robert Loggia for Independence Day and be like, <laughs> God, he looks miserable here. Get him out! God, get this man out of here. Put him in the second one. Yeah, and he's in a wheelchair and he looks like on the and he Loja. did die like pretty like right around the release. He oh, looks God. like he's on the on the verge of death, and it's very sad. Um, it's, it's especially the not way they a, treat his character. It's not a good movie. But Luke Wilson's The Wendell Baker Story has really sweet performances from Harry Dean Stanton, Chris Christopherson, and Seymour Cassell in a somewhat similar sense of you know, yeah. old timers reminiscing about their glory days. So if you want to skip through to the good parts, I would recommend that. Getting back to Top Gun. Uh, well, wait, speaking <laughs> of, do we know why, um, or is it all just rumor? Because um, I heard that Kelly McGillis... <coughs> Like she wasn't asked back. Is it just because what you said that I guess they just didn't get along? Because I am surprised she doesn't have a camera. Um, Jennifer Connelly's hotter in modern times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unfortunately, Kelly McGillis age normal, and Jennifer Connelly. Well, they're not is the, basically they're not the same character. Is, Jennifer Connelly. No, is not at all. I mean, Jennifer Connelly is a fantastic actress and deserves every single role she gets, but. It should not be lost on anyone that she was basically the one 50 year old actor that kind of sort of looks 31. Yeah, true. They could mm-hmm. get, they could be paired with the cruise. It's Hollywood politics, Peter. That's the reason yeah. that Kelly McGillis is not in here. Yep. Yeah. And I assume, I don't know, I haven't seen it, but I assume Meg Ryan probably didn't show up either. Um, nope. <laughs> so back to this movie. Um, the other curious thing about this for a movie that's about, you know, fighter pilots that shoot off what MIGs, which are nondescript enemy vehicles, because that's how we're supposed to how they were supposed to do it. Right. Right. There's no like yes. actual antagonist in this movie. No, there are certainly like, you know, foils or adversaries, but like Iceman for all his, you know, his whole deal is. I want to be safe. <laughs> like That's his thing. Like I, you, you are very good at flying. I'd like to file a few and not feel worried about that. And I feel bad that your friend died. Please keep flying. You're good at that. Like his whole <laughs> thing is not about like being against Maverick in any way. He's just, yeah. this guy's too dangerous for me. And it's like, he just falls in line, which goes very much in line with the fact that it's a very conservative movie. If you just fall in line with what all of us are doing, we're going to be cool cats. You can be my wingman, yeah. all that. Like it's an interesting and- choice in a film that has a lot of machismo. And we got to take on Jesse Ventura, whoever the hell else is going after us this week. This is a movie where it's like, <laughs> just trained to fly planes, would. And I guess there's bigs in the air. We have to lock onto them, but not actually blow them up. That'd be terrible. I, I'm not the one that said this, but it's a fascinating observation in that Top Gun is basically the same plot as the first Police Academy movie, Played Straight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Um, that high tower. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's no. Uh, I like. I do like that. At no, you know, no one actually blames Maverick for Goose's death. It's immediately said it was an accident. It was a twist of fate. It wasn't your fault. Yada yada yada. 
So really, as you said, it's just about him dealing with his own self-confidence. Yeah. <laughs> and even the thing with his father, I mean, it's almost barely a footnote. It's more explicit. You know, it's a, it's a comedy, but it's more explicit than Hot Shots. Yes, it is. And also, I guess, um, remade in like a truncated five minutes in Green Lantern. Right? Yes. Right. Uh, or if you write the extended cut, a truncated 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's more of that in the longer version yes. of Green Lantern. That's the that's the bulk of the new stuff. Because uh-huh, we're not I, new; I, it was ten years ago. I, I don't need to watch Green Lantern again. It'll hurt my eyes. No, you really don't. No. <laughs> that's like what if we did Aquaman, but instead of making it like eye poppingly good, it was like what if we just made it like miserable to look at the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> what if we had Clancy Brown, but instead of playing like a really fun charismatic villain, he played a shit monster. <laughs> 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 there's no other description for what that character is he's a shit monster like he floats in space oh, yeah, it's right? brown and yellow monster. he's a shit monster <laughs> like there's there's two shit monster movies dogma and green lantern it's really weird <laughs> <laughs> this movie didn't get great reviews right um, it's not good it's, <laughs> it's not <great>. <laughs> <laughs> they were right 35 years ago. But even at the time, this movie got pretty mixed reviews. Like it had certainly like there were certainly champions in its corner. This is a good shot. There's a lot of great shots. This is a good shot. And and the audiences took to Twitter and told them critics what they thought (laughs) before seeing the movie. Cinema score lit up that weekend. (laughs) Actually, probably did. Yeah. Um, I know it's a cliche to quote Roger Ebert, so I apologize. Oh, there's Adrian Pazdar. (laughs) Never mind. Sorry. Wait, what? That's Adrian Adrian Pazdar. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. A year before oh. Near Dark, I assume. And isn't that the, the terrorist from Die Hard? What was that? The, the, computer, was that? the computer guy? Oh, my. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, I was because I was like, what's that guy from? Huh? Um, no, his his critique was basically, you know, the, the flying scenes are great, blah, blah, blah. But look out for the scenes where people talk to each other. And that's how I feel. I don't, you know, I don't think the character work is particularly authentic or compelling. I think it's very cartoonish. I love Val Kilmer in 90% of his movies. I think he's terrible in this film. You don't think Val um, Kilmer's good in I mean, I mean <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's job. one of his top performances, but it's there's a certain like you know, it's because that gets me back to like the whole like it's yeah. a vibe kind of movie where it's yeah, like that's yeah, I get that. And it's and it, you know, well, regardless of how good Val Kilmer is, it's not like you don't remember Iceman from this movie, not just because his yeah. name is Iceman, he sticks out. He's got cool hair. He bites his teeth at you for some reason. He says things that are make sense because he's a responsible adult, but he still comes off as a mean guy. I mean, yeah. it's, it works. Um, it, it's getting to something that you've said a couple of times on this thing, and you're right. Because this film only costs, what, 15, 20, 15, you know, $15 million? Yeah. And wow. you know, this was 1986, so you couldn't have nonstop action all the time. You had to make you know you had to make artistic choices that provided entertainment value during the not outside of the flying seats. Yeah, and I think that's just one reason why this film has you know is as memorable as it is is because the choices were made to make it very you know entertaining and memorable even when they weren't in the sky. I mean, this um, film, it proved it proved critics wrong. It's in the National Film Registry. It's got that going for it. So is Alien. Birth of a Nation. Probably. Aliens, aliens will discover these movies and be like, these are the best ones. Because <laughs> they'll go to the National Film Registry. It's Birth of a Nation. You're, you're a regular yeah. maverick, she's whore. 
Wait, so did we just miss? Just curious, is Top Gun sort Goose of like? Died, yes. Was Top Gun sort of like Rocky here in that? Did he not? So did Cruz? Did Maverick not get the top spot? It went to Iceman, so he lost. Correct. So yeah, he but, he, I mean, but that's movie. not even that's not even a surprise. Like it's not like I came out of nowhere. The guy literally gave up for like a, a, a yeah, he's, you know, yeah. A month. He didn't take the final. Yeah, he he's, he was he, what, he, didn't he didn't walk into this. No, he no, was no, on no, pay, no, he was on no, pace basically, to yeah. be. <laughs> he didn't take the final. That's pretty much what yeah. happens. Yeah, but you know he but, but he's he did handsome, so he could still get to do the big thing at the end because all he had to do was get a B on the final, but he didn't show up. Yeah, he was that so far ahead, and they still gave him a B minus, but it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when your roommate dies, you get an automatic A. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the thing though. They weren't living together. <laughs> <laughs> He very much chose to have his own bunk because you know God, wanted to be oh, a Maverick. I mean, anybody, do you guys think that if Maverick is a hit, I mean, a hit for the kind of movie it is, do you think he'll do a third Top Gun, or do you think this was a one-time thing? They well, one. I mean, Peter, I, I I read the you know I read the Wikipedia that you know knowing now that at the end of it, um, <laughs> Tom Skerritt comes out and talks about the Top Gun Initiative. I assume the cinematic universe <laughs> is going to kick off right now. Um, uh, will they make another Top Gun? I don't know. I feel like Cruz doesn't. I, I don't think <laughs> I haven't seen this movie, so I don't know if you guys are thinking like, oh yeah, there's definitely more room for more Top Gun uh, in a more closer span of time. But I wouldn't think that Cruz necessarily needs to prove much more with this. It feels more like, yeah, finally we did that thing that you guys wanted. Well, could you fast and furious it and he just not do it? Like if Vin Diesel just be like, I feel like brand, if, if Paramount wa- if Paramount wanted to have strong a, enough, like if, I guess if that's if Paramount wanted. wanted to have a fleet of jet movies, they would have had a fleet of jet movies by now. Yeah. Right. But now with this now, if this one's a hit, it I don't know. I'm just it could bo- it could bolster their confidence in being like we gotta get yeah. more more jet movies. But if they don't have Tom Cruise, I think Paramount's smart enough to be like, that's not gonna make money. <laughs> and we don't and we can't spare really? that money. The, what if Top Gun but Paw Patrol? <laughs> huh. Paramount's not like Warner Brothers where they're stubborn and they're like, I don't care that we don't have Tom Cruise. We're still, we're still going to make it and it's going to work, damn it. And it doesn't. And then they try again in another form and it doesn't work either. Now, Tom Cruise has never had a $100 million opening, right? Correct. Well, I mean, interviewed the vampire, an R-rated gay vampire movie, opened with the adjusted of number of $71 million for 1994. So, yeah, I mean, it was a different time. And when he was at his peak stardom, which is what, 86 to 2005, which is 20 fucking years. But, yeah. you know, generally speaking, $20 million was a big budget. 15 was a good opening. And 200 worldwide was an unmitigated smash hit. Yeah. Yeah, I thought... I thought back in the day, it wasn't the weekend. It was more that someone like Cruz, his movies made his movies domestically made like 90 to 100 million dollars. Because whole movies were were out longer and the next week didn't have another blockbuster. That's that was the difference. Um, And they were good. You know, they they, you know, he has a reputation for quality and, you know, he's made a couple misses over the last few years. Rock of Ages, The Mummy, Jack Reacher 2, et cetera, et cetera. But generally speaking, you know, people expect Tom Cruise movies to be good. Yeah. Because he's, he's kept um, that covenant with the audience, you know? Yeah. Yes. That's a wonderful I will point. say it's weird because I think Will Smith, who to me always seemed like the the, apparent, the heir apparent of like after Tom Cruise, then in the 90s, it's like Will Smith. Will Smith's kind of interesting because 
because he is attached to so many like a, like men in black he's in a lot of movies that are pretty bad but they make a lot of money so it's a different whereas i think the tom cruise run you're right Top i don't think your ratio is that high there i don't think he's in a lot of movies that are very bad he's got some that aren't bad he has more bad movies than tom cruise does but it's not a no, no, consistent no. thing no what i meant what i meant by that was like the i guess what i meant was like it seems like Will Smith has movies sort of like the Top Gun where they're not necessarily critically liked, but they still make a lot of money because they like Will Smith. Whereas I think Tom Cruise, yes, this movie is kind of a weird outlier, but most of the Tom Cruise movies of his era that got good reviews were also hits. I guess that's what I was saying. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't both have hits and flops and stuff, but like I Men in Black I, 2 is pretty bad, but I mean, well, yeah. it doesn't matter. Made a yeah, lot of Men in Black 3 was inexplicably great. Um, I think the thing with, with, with Will Smith is that the kind of movies he made when they came out, you know, no one's necessarily going to call iRobot the next new classic. Um, although I, you know, again, but it's fine. Was that, wait, was that a hit? I am Legend? Yes, it was. Yeah. I Am Legend uh, was. That was a hit. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And was you know, reviews were decent. You know, for Hancock, reviews were okay. But, you know, 10, 20 years later, they're also not the kind of movies that people have nostalgic fondness for because they're still big budget sci-fi action adventure pictures. Conversely, there is a certain nostalgia for movies like a few good men or Jerry Maguire, or even the more comparatively lo-fi mission impossible movie um, or rain man. So there's also like outside of the Bruckheimer Smith movies, bad boys and enemy of the state, Mm -hmm. the, the focus is on Will, whether you like it or not. It's a focus is on Will Smith for the most part. There's the thing with Tom Cruise; yes. he's more charitable in that regard. There are yes. huge co-stars or people that aid the scenes that he's in that you really call to, and that you know that gives for good character drama. That gives for you good. Don't like, Will Smith, you don't think so? You're saying you don't think Will Smith movies has he doesn't fill it with strong supporting casts. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying that because obviously like men in black is somebody like there's, there's plenty of that, but I do think the, the key, the, the driving you into theater part isn't look at this ensemble cast or look at like it's Tom Cruise and this for Will Smith. It's Will Smith is in this with yes, some exceptions, with some exceptions, like, um, you know, which again is the Bruckheimer stuff. It's, it's Will Smith and Gene Hackman in this. It's Will yeah. Smith and Martin Lawrence, two of the biggest TV stars in the, in the world in, in the 95 in Bad Boys. It's, it's Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. That's a, that's a weird combo. Mm. But then you get to things um, like Hitch or I Am Legend or Hancock, and it's Will Smith is this thing. Uh, yes, you are. I, I agree with you. It's the difference between, with, and I love Jim Carrey as a, as a performer, as a whatever, but I think there's a reason why, you know, Jim Carrey differs from Will Ferrell in that Will Ferrell seems willing to let other people oh, be yeah. really funny in a Will Very Ferrell much so. movie. Right. Yeah. Um, now with, with Smith, though, the thing I find interesting is because you're talking about era parents, Tom Cruise is doing all this in the 90s when he's the most interesting, arguably, right? As far as like yes. all the different choices making. Smith, I think, is doing that in the 2000s where he's making a lot, like, regardless of how good the movie is, I think his best acting is coming out of that, like, from Ali up into like late 2000s where he gets two Oscar nominations. But even in like movies like I Am Legend or Hancock, I think he's giving legit great performances regardless of how good the movie is. He as an actor is very specifically making choices that reflect more of how can I do this interestingly and not just coast off of making one-liners. I think he's actually actively trying to be a good actor in these movies. To be super simplistic. While at the same time, Cruz has leaned right into action at this point. He's doing action movie, action movie, action movie. 
Well, it's it's almost like Cruz is at its peak from like 96 to 2006, 2005, and then almost concurrently with the couch jump incident. And I know that's a simplistic way to talk about that. He didn't actually jump on Oprah Winfrey's couch, but, you know, simplistically speaking, you know, he basically commits himself entirely to doing action movies and spends the next 20, 15 years convincing the world that he's still an A-list movie star. Yeah. Will Smith becomes the biggest star in the universe from 2004 to around 2008. And then by 2010, Leonardo DiCaprio is swept in and he starts his unbeatable winning streak. Yeah. And right now, DiCaprio is is been king of the mountain for the last 12 years. World. And the only reason I think Sandra world. Bullock That's isn't is that she doesn't work as much. You see, she to disappear for a while. I have a question to go back to Top Gun as we're in this finale here. I don't know if you, you guys differ or if audiences differ when watching Top Gun. Do you do you think and like even thinking about the movie, do you think about it as far as it all concludes with this wonderful air dog, dog fight with all these things going off? Does that does this matter to you? No. no. And I think even though its initial popularity may have been rooted in the quality of its aerial footage and its combat, which is cool. nobody, nobody who loves Top Gun 35 years later gives a shit about the action scenes. That's what I would. In a way, that's a compliment. I would agree, Mm -hmm. and that's interesting given that the the consensus, as far from a critical standpoint, is the fact that like this stuff looks great. The character stuff is like whatever, and yet, yeah, I don't. You know, you're not quoting Top Gun because of the dogfight footage, which is cool. But like, I'm watching this right now again, and I've seen this movie plenty of times. I always like. It's not like I'm bored by this, but it does feel like it feels like a. The, the most action-packed epilogue you could have for a movie like this. I'm a little I'm a little bored by it. I think that yeah. I think it's really hard to make this kind of footage interesting because every shot, every time it cuts the geography, it's just impossible for me to get a sense of what's going on here. So I kind of just check out until I think you can I mean you can make that work. That's Star Wars, oh, right? Those space up. battles are amazing. So Star Wars yeah. they're not trying to show off the, the they're trying to show as little of the outside of the ships as possible. And in this, they're trying to highlight the. I don't know. I mean, I find but that stuff really cool in Star Wars when I see just ships flying really cool around. Star but Wars. Star Wars are creating the rules too. Um, these have to, yeah. This has to have some sense but of as, reality. As we learned in but, the Aviator, they're flying around in front of cloud. In Star Wars, they're flying against this cool bric-a-brac Death Star thing. Or, this is or, why. Or, I, or, or, that's why I find it curious because this is real. <laughs> this is they've actually got jets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Boring. Doing real this. boring. That's why I didn't want to see it in '86. I don't care yeah. about the army, <laughs> the navy. I don't want to see real jets. Um, but no, no I, I think you're absolutely correct in that. Like the Harry Potter franchise, that's always the example that I use for these big blockbuster action fantasy franchise pictures where nobody gives two shits about the action scenes. Here you go, Scott, yeah. trying to play down Quidditch again. Like, it's not the coolest sport ever. And I'm like, I don't read these books, but Quidditch rules. So whatever, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of Quidditch, but that too. Um, you're not wrong, because if you're, if you're saying outside of Quidditch, my mind is literally at a blank as far as other exactly. action scenes in Harry Potter. Yeah. I guess they use wands and shoot stuff out of them at some yeah, point. Exactly. So that, that is not a thing that sticks in my mind. So you're correct. And I, I think I for agree. a while, I might have said the thing, same thing about the MCU in that, you know, especially in phase one, maybe exception to maybe the Avengers, where they weren't really known for their jaw-dropping action adventures at paces. I mean... I think that kind of changed with Iron Man 3 and Winter Soldier, but... 
even even Iron Man, I mean, it's more like just the use of the suit, but you know, that yeah, shot yeah. of like Iron Man walking away from a tank that's blowing up. I mean, yeah, but it's pretty sick. Him walking away, but it's just him guys, walking guys, away. Guys, he's gonna spill the like, coffee again. That's the runner. That's the runner we needed. Um, um I mean, Scott, I. I, yeah, agree yeah, I, mean, dis- yeah. I agree and disagree with you because it's like, sure, the camaraderie between Avengers and the quippiness and all that, like that's the that's the that's the glue, right? That's the stuff that people are like, I love these characters because these actors are playing them and they're saying things that make me laugh and or feel things, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like I was I was having dinner with my dad the other day and Civil War was on and it was on the exact scene where they're fighting on the very nondescript bland Germany airport. Um, but reg- regardless of how blandly shot that the, the colors are in that scene, it's still a scene where, you know, 10 Avengers are fighting each other. And that's the, that's what you want to see. Oh, yeah. That's what you want to see. By that point, I think by that point, they had become top tier action spectacles as well. And that's one reason why the MCU became noticeably more dominant when, you know, it used to be, you know, the MCU is the MCU, but then you've got fucking Transformers. And that's the biggest spectacle on the block. But I think in 2014, okay, yeah, if, Winter if, if Soldier and Guardians yes, of the Galaxy... The- between 2008 and 2014, yes. sure. Yes, the yeah. highlight of those movies isn't necessarily the yeah. action. I would say the um, the bringing together, you know, these team-up movies specifically where you have iconic comic book characters doing signature moves with each yes. other in collaboration with each other, that's very much a highlight. But yeah, sure, that occurs later on. Yeah, I and guess. whatever. I mean, it's, we basically agree on this 80% of this anyway. Um, but yes, this epilogue is very... Oh shit! I guess we need an action scene here because the arc deal. is complete, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. He's, he's in the jet like already, the Batman. so it's the like he's found over. his. He's already found his confidence to get to that point. It's yeah. like whether or not he shoots the MIG down. Guess what? He's probably going to do it. Like it's yeah. you know, it's it's a little on the side. But I do wonder if audiences at the time, if like if people in theaters in 1986 were sitting there watching, you know, Iceman and Maverick fighting off these MIGs, if like they got him and they're like. They start cheering in their seats like he did it. He did the thing. I'm sure probably. Right. Yeah, probably back then. And also to a certain extent, you know, it was something that had been teased, but not really delivered up to this point in the movie, which is these top notch fighter pilots doing the thing they were trained to do in a real world situation. Yeah. If that makes sense. And the threat, of course, the threat, of course, was there were jets over the Indian Ocean. So they needed to stop that. Yeah, exactly. They were going to poison the water hole or something. Yes. Or something. <laughs> Wait. So just curious, except for Scott, this, this is obviously nobody's favorite Tom Cruise or Tony Scott or whatever movie, but um, are we all like thumbs up on this? Except for it sounds like Scott. I mean, I still like the movie. I, I still like, like, this movie. I like it. That's fine. I mean, it's on the borderline there. of Thumbs up and thumbs down. No, okay. there's, there's there's to me there's too much there's too much good and especially as the more and more I've seen it over the years and recognize it as a as a mood film which whether or not you like the mood that's your own thing but like I I like I like what it's trying to put out there as far as when I when I see Scott being like Scott Tony Scott being like this is pure escapism if I focus on that that's what I'm getting here and it's it's likable and the cast is really likable like regardless of how good the actors are in said movie it's a fun group of people to watch do stuff together. Well, it's interesting because Scott, you of course are a huge defender of John Woo's Mission Impossible 2, 
And most of us on this podcast right now are all defenders. Let's get that clear. But I mean, like that is a very, you know, style type of movie. It's not like the characters in MI2 or or any of the MI movies are amazing. So Scott, I'm wait wait a minute, Peter. There's that one Australian guy who played by someone I do not remember. He's classic. (laughs) (laughs) Who could have been Wolverine? No, not no, not no, no, the other guy. The guy that's hanging out with Ding Rames. Not Ding Rames. The Australian guy whose name I do not know. Him. He's a classic. (laughs) He better show up in MI8. Damn it. Yeah. Right. So, Scott, you just. I hope that I hope that's an Instagram post on Christopher Corey's Instagram page. Guess who's huh. back? And it's this. And it's like, who? Yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, you just happen to prefer huh. Wu style. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And I I like Tony Scott's later movies more than I like his earlier stuff in general. I would yeah. agree. I don't like Beverly Hills Cop too. I would agree. Um, I would agree. Wait. You don't like Beverly Hills Cop 2 or you don't like Beverly Hills Cop comma 2? <laughs> I don't like Beverly Hills Cop because this wow. is definitely uh, something, wait, I, miss wait, from wait, this wait, is something I always miss from the 80s. This like, didn't we the roll call, fun? the roll call. Yeah. The, didn't we all have fun roll call? <laughs> but see, I will say, I will say the, the roll call for me is obscured as Paramount Plus is telling me to watch Red Dawn or 1883. <laughs> Uh, but I love the roll calls, so I'm pretty sure you watch fun. anything at all on Paramount Plus, even Paw Patrol, and it will tell you to watch 1883. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got that, you know, Bosch on wow, it's literally, it's literally, it's literally starting Red Dawn right now. Is this the one? We're going to a Red Dawn commentary, guys. Yeah, <laughs> now we go into a Red Dawn. Commentary. The movie Swayze chose instead. I've never seen Red Dawn. It'll be fresh. It's uh, certainly a movie. Wait, Yancy, you've never seen either Red Dawn, either one? No. I mean, I think the answer to that was going to be either. Peter, what was the answer to that question going to be? Yeah, I didn't see it, but I really raced out to 2010, 2013, Red Dawn. Uh, although, I mean, us Hemsworth you know, fans got to get out there. Look out, it's awful. the Chinese. Our... I mean, the North Koreans. That movie's terrible. That is a terrible <laughs> yeah, movie. That's pretty bad. I've never that's, actually watched it. It's really bad. Like, it's so bad that because, you know, the much like Swayze, Hemsworth character dies in the movie. You can, like, see in his face, like, I have Cabin in the Woods to build next. Get me the fuck out of here. Like, that's the expression <laughs> on his face when he's dying in that film. <laughs> I didn't remember that film existed until just now. So. It's no invasion USA. Mean, I, no. I have a question as we go through the credits here. Uh, I saw this on Twitter the, uh, yesterday, and I thought it was a pretty interesting question. Is there a Tom Cruise movie, like a Tom Cruise movie, not a movie like he's in, like Tropic Thunder, but a Tom Cruise movie where he's not the best part of the best scene in that movie, or he's not a part of the best scene in that movie? Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Huh? A part? Because I was going to say Nicole Kidman's monologue in Eyes Wide Shut, but he's in that room, so I guess that counts. He's part of the scene. He's Tropic a yeah, he is part of the scene. Yeah. Tropic Thunder uh, count? Which no, I'm saying, no, no like a, so that's what I'm saying. A Tom Cruise movie. Where he's I mean, not, there's a lot of there's a I lot mean, of great stuff in Magnolia, obviously. And that that's are we counting the scenes movie. where Tim Curry hits on Mia Sarah and Legend? See, like that. That's, that's like the one. That's like the, there's there's two I can think of, and one and is I'm Legend stretching just, it. I'm aware of that. But that's know, a but, Ridley but, Scott. But that, yeah, yeah. But it's still a, that's he's the lead of that movie. Like that. There's two that I can think of, and that's one of them because yes, Tim Curry's 
the highlight yeah. of legend and Cruz <laughs> is arguably miscast in that movie yes the other is collateral obviously where i think like, oh Jamie yeah yeah Fox has plenty about of the... stuff he can do oh yeah yeah collateral is a lot of great stuff How about like, Cruz, like like Cruz like like, mummy. like fox well, also, like, 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 like javier maybe like the best acting scene in that movie <laughs> like there's a lot of good stuff there what about Cruz mummy see in the yes, best scene in that is there a scene in that movie where he's not in I guess the Sophia Batella flashback. Oh, I like Sophia, but yeah, I like her in the Mummy. Yeah, I guess. But Lions oh. for Lambs? No, he's the best thing in that. He I is. <laughs> um, Rock of Ages. He's the best thing in. Yeah, he's, he's the, the best thing, thing in. Rock of Ages, the thing, and these aren't even Tom Cruise movies. Movie. This movies he happens to be a part of. But yeah, it's a good I question. Mean, can, I mean, you can make an argument that. Uh, I, I got one. I got one. I got one. Jack Reacher when her, Werner Herzog tells the guy to cut off. There you go. Okay. There we go. There it is. There it is. But you have to think about Herzog it. So for wrong. the win once again. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, was money is I mean, slightly. I was going to say arguably nothing. more. Wait, what, Yancy? Paul Newman and Connor Money may be a bigger deal than Tom Cruise. And oh, Connor. sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Newman and Connor Money. But I was going to say, I mean, not an actor, but I mean, I don't remember who did the score, but the score and the effects in uh, freaking War of the Worlds, the tripods. Those who do you are... think did the score for Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds? Just, <laughs> yeah. just asking. I'm you. assuming it's, it's I would assume it's, <laughs> I'm assuming it's John Williams, but I don't ding, know. Ding, 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 Peter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, all right. So those scenes, which those scenes are great. And those are not necessarily dependent on Tom Cruise. Like, so he's, the, the he's in every world, frame in of, every that movie. of that movie. Yeah. I know, but I mean, it's, it's not entirely from his POV. No scene in War of the Worlds leaves his perspective. <laughs> like that's, that's the best the, thing that's in Magnolia. The, I might, he might that's be the, the best point thing of in that movie. Too. Yeah. He's the, he's the be, is he the best thing in Magnolia? I mean, Magnolia's Magnolia's got a lot of highlights. It does, and also it's that's not also like, not like it's a not a Tom Cruise movie, that's right? right. That's yeah. a, it's not you know, it's not a movie that's Tom Cruise above the title. Well, I guess he is by default, but everybody is. But yeah, I think you know what I'm saying, and I think Scott probably that's knows. It's an ensemble about, picture, so. and no, I had to really dig for that one. So I, who's in Last Samurai? Who's in Last Samurai besides Cruise? Ken Watanabe, Chris Tucker. I'm sure. I'm sure Watanabe <laughs> has Chris Tucker. Well, Watanabe, I'm sure Watanabe has some good moments. He's but, with Cruise in ninety percent of the movie. That's what I was gonna say. He's he's with Cruise every scene he's in. That's the thing. Yeah. Like there's not. So a Cruise scene would be de facto in part of a scene. Yeah. yeah. But when he dies, he says like, "I see the color of the orchids. They're beautiful. That's the best thing in Last Samurai." And that's Ken Watanabe. But he dies right. But he, he's. He's dying yeah, in Tom, Tom Cruise's Cruise arms, like he's cradling yeah. him, and he's saying, yeah. Tom, so, you're so, the, so, now you're the last spoiler, guy. guys." Like, uh, you know. spoiler. <laughs> it's the title the of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's the title. Yeah, the, the, it's much like it's much like Highlander. There can only be one. All right. Exactly. Um, I would say Cuba Gooding in Cuba Gooding has some real highlights. Oh yeah, he's but he's with Cruise in all of those. Yeah, yeah. show me the money. Is that, guess who else is saying it? <laughs> just saying he shared I'm not arguing that there aren't like yeah, actors that do a better job but he is in the scene with them that's the thing he's present he has he's present so if he was sitting on a chair in the background he's still in the scene another actor may drive the there's no but he's there yeah 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 I'm yeah, there, there are scenes without him in it that are good, but he, like, he's the best yeah. part of every one of those movies. <laughs> like, no, no one's looking at Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol and being like, "Yeah, that Paula Patton, it's pretty hold good." Up, hold at up. the same time, he's Tom Cruise outside the building. Like, uh, I do like Rebecca uh, Ferguson in Rogue Nation. Yeah, in the opera scene, he's there. Also, he's there. He's there. 
but he's fighting the guy on the scaffolding in the same world. You were just talking about season. other people uh, not doing like cool stuff. Yeah, he is. Movies. Tom Cruise is no, not I, on I, screen. I didn't. No, that's not oh, what I said. I didn't I say that. I didn't say people weren't cool in scenes, also, or even better than, or the highlight of that scene. He's just still a factor in the scene. That's that's yeah. the yeah. thing. Um, Gabriel Byrne doing his upside down dance and interview. I think that's for Brad Pitt. I, I think Cruise is nowhere to be found in that scene. I yeah, like but that. the best scene in that movie isn't isn't that. Oh, scene. I didn't say it was the best scene. That was my question. My question is, that's that's the initial question. Though. The question is, is Ooh, there Stephen a Cruise, is there a Cruise movie where he's not a part of the best scene in that movie? And the best scene in Interview of the Vampire, yeah, it's, all of them have to have Tom Cruise in them. Yeah, all Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's true. I like the end when Brad Pitt goes to see Superman. Tom Cruise is oh, never I do like that. You know, that's a nice <laughs> Yeah. It's a cool thing to kill the sunrise. Yeah, I do like that too. But I don't but know. your point is made, Aaron. He, right. he, yes. he says, I'm, go- I'm going with Werner Herzog here. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't hilarious. even remember that scene. I didn't love Jack Reacher like everybody else. I thought it was yeah, okay. I mean, everybody it was else. Loved I think everybody Jack. loved it. We were just like, we all oh, liked it. I always felt people like love Jack Reacher, and I was like, it's I all think right. it's. I, no, I that's think the it's Amazon show they love. I think it, it's I, I, also good. I think it certainly gained more of a reputation over time. I, I think it. I think it's more liked now than when it was coming out. A, it's one of the you know movie you don't get that much anymore, and B, I think you know, divorced with the whole you know controversy over him being short while Jack Reacher is very tall as right. a movie. And again, I've never read the book, so I have no like. I thought it was a very good Tom Cruise action thriller. And the Macquarie Hive is activated at yeah. this point too, so they're like everything he did was great. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Way of the Gun was always great, damn it, and uh, that's me. Um, all right, oh, we've reached. Oh wait, right. one thing I will say. Uh, not um not Jack. Oh God, no, I just uh, I just brain farted. Go ahead, Aaron. I forgot now. I was losing it. <laughs> losing it. Is there anything yeah. in Oblivion that wasn't with him? Because I know he does no, he's in that every picture for a bit. No, he's, he's there's he's several of him, if I recall. Well, yeah, there's, there's several multiple of cruises. him, but <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not there's not a scene where he's not involved in that okay, movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. And he gets a cool motorcycle in that movie. Like, I mean, he gets sure. Movies. Uh, but the M83 score is the best part of the movie. Um, okay, so we've reached the end of uh, Top Gun for several minutes now. Uh, that's that's going to do it for this uh, month's commentary track. Uh, let's go over where everyone can find more of your guys' work online. Yancey, let's start with you. Where, 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 where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Yancey Jack Burns, Twitter, Yancey Jack. Check the Milky Way Blues. Uh, when they get these children raised, I'll start posting stuff. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Peter Paris. Uh, I'm, I am on, I'm on a lot of, uh, socials as pajamo, uh, with an O and then I write for, uh, why so blue.com and my top gun Maverick review should be up in a, either t- Thursday or Friday. Well, although I don't know when this podcast is going up. So three years from now, years uh, from Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you? A uh, Forbes.com, uh, Google some variation of Forbes, the ticket booth or Scott Mendelson. Uh, I'm at Twitter and at Scott Mendelson. And that's basically it. Brandon Peters. Except for the fact that he's on the Brandon Peters show all summer long with the summer of 82 at 40. A series we're doing where Scott and I are taking a pop culture adventure through every film released that summer and talking about not just the films, but everything else people are doing. TV, music, news stories, stuff like that. It's been a lot of fun. People have been liking it. We caused controversy about Leonard Malton this week. It's great. Uh, what but, do you say? Huh? Wait, what's wrong with Leonard Malton? Oh, <laughs> he, he reviewed a movie um and uh yeah but that's going on i believe this week you got uh star trek to the wrath of con and poltergeist i think that's what we got coming up pretty awesome uh another great episode Bob hopper's poltergeist 
Toby. Um, Toby, whatever. Uh, but yeah, you got it half right. I do go on a little spiel about that. Well, it's uh, Hooper. You got it all wrong, actually, Scott. But okay. Yeah, but- <laughs> <laughs> Fine, fuck. Steven Spielberg's poltergeist. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, BrandonPetersShow.com on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Everything I do ends up over at uh, my personal blog, thecodeaz.com. I write for Weed of Entertainment and Why is the Blue, some variety stuff occasionally, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find more episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you can find podcasts. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Feel free to follow us on all of those. There's always questions and things you can answer and updates on our episodes and what have you uh, i'd like to thank brandon peter yancey and scott for joining me for this top gun commentary track thank you our pleasure yeah, thanks for having me on it what's next what's next is june of course and there we got some options we john carpenter's talk. elvis we'll say a two-part commentary <laughs> oh, series yeah, that's a fucking long movie uh, two, <laughs> i said a two-part commentary Jurassic series. Park three. I, 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 I've been thought I've been thinking about doing but my least favorite Spielberg movie, uh, but we'll uh, we'll talk about things. Uh, th- certainly a lot of options coming in June, though, and we'll get you to do hook. World, your least you want to do Spielberg hook? Movie? Well, we'll get we'll, make, we'll get back to what we want to do. Terminal. But uh, I like the terminal. But um, that's gonna that's gonna do it for this uh, this month's commentary track. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.